Hey guys, Carly Perez here, aka Katrina from Lucha Underground. I just want to give a shout out to the listeners of the Hammerlock Hangover, the Garden of Doom, and the viewers of Unpopular Review. I send you guys my wishes and kisses. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Hammerlock Hangover. This is episode 20. Thanks for checking in with us once again. This is Steve coming at you live or taped, I guess, in podcast form. I feel alive, so I guess that's why I threw that in there. Joining me, as always, is the incomparable but evil, evil dose. Jeff, how are you? Well, let me tell you something, brother. This has been some week in wrestling. We have a few founding principles, as the audience knows. And one of them, if not the first founding principle, was we are pro-Smashly. So while not all the news this week is great, we are going to have a celebration. Or we've been celebrating basically since Monday, saying, where have you been? How do you like us now? Welcome to our, our bandwagon. And boy, are our legs tired of pulling all of you that are jumping on the bandwagon. All of a sudden, Lashley doesn't suck anymore. Now he's great. Now he's great. (laughs) But I I have to be be honest. I'm thrilled. I'm happy so many people are happy. I am happy that that the African-American fans have a second world champion in three years. um, That's sort of that is the rock or is he not argument has sort of dimmed a little bit because of this. Uh, I hope that Lashley has a long run or multiple runs. Um, we are big fans, obviously. And, Absolutely. Uh, and the wrestling world seems to be very excited about this, and sometimes you just don't know what's going to connect. I mean, we knew. I mean, the guy looks Listen. like Superman. I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. The guy is, 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 is built like a brick shithouse, and, uh, you know, he's amazing. But besides Lashley, we've got a jam-packed show here. And a special show for you. We've got later on in the show, we've got a special guest. His name is Greg Greenberg. He's an employment lawyer. And he's. we're all going to deep dive into this Kelly Klein versus Sinclair Broadcasting lawsuit. Kelly Klein, uh, if you remember, is the former Ring of Honor cha- women's champion. And she is suing Sinclair Broadcasting, claiming that she is an employee of ring of honor and therefore she is been wronged by a lot of employment law such as discrimination and harassment unsafe work environment unpaid royalties yada 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 when we get to it we'll deep dive into it so please make sure you stay tuned for that because i'm almost certain there's no other wrestling podcast around right now covering this as in-depth as Jeff and I are on the Hammerlock Hangover. So stay tuned for that, plus our recaps uh, and analysis of AEW and NXT. But as we said to kick off, we are in a big celebratory mood. We are celebrating 
uh, our new champion. We have a new champion of the WWE. He is the third black WWE champion on the record books. His name is Bobby Smashley. That's right. You, you, you can't see me right now, but I, I just took off my, I ripped my shirt off and I ran around my whole house right now in uh, celebration. I, could see it. I have to tell you people, you're lucky. You're lucky that we don't have a YouTube. We'd, we'd break the internet with that video right now, but right. Let's, let's talk about it. It was Monday night raw. We were leading up to it. We knew this match was coming, and they started off raw with with this uh, big old tease. And we had Drew McIntyre again. Drew McIntyre says he wants his title back, but first he's got business with Sheamus. We're leaving that on the side. That keeps Drew occupied for a week. But the Miz, he's got business to do with Lashley. Adam Pearce says he's got till nine o'clock to man up and give Lashley his match at nine o'clock. He wusses out. He says that he's got cramps. I don't know. He ate a bad burrito or something and he can't make it. Lashley comes running from the ring and he says probably my most favorite Lashley quote of, of his entire career is I'm going to beat that ass for that title. And so Pierce says, You've got till 10 o'clock, Miz. You better come through. Miz, playing the perfect role of chicken shit heel at 10 o'clock, runs out of the ring when the bell rings and gets counted out. This leads Shane McMahon to say that we're going to have a wrestling, we're going to have a championship match. It's going to happen as the main event. And when that happens, it is then turned into a lumberjack match. Jeff, this was, in my opinion, probably one of the best Raws written in a long, long time. It hearkened back to me as one of those special uh, Monday Night Raws from the Attitude Era, like the one where Austin kidnaps Vince. The story was told throughout the night. And there, a lot of the people that I was talking to believed that there was no way Vince was go- was going to put the title on on Lashley, despite everybody thinking ahead of time it was going to happen. So the booking was so good that halfway through the show, people thought Vince isn't going to pull the trigger. He's not going to do. It. He's going to wuss out. He's going to chicken out. What were your thoughts on this episode of Raw? Well, and I the thought that, yeah. Well, I thought he was going to he was going to win last week. So you know, I, like everyone else, I, I was sort of you know excited for t- for this week's Raw. Uh, and I thought the first 90 minutes of Raw was really good. But then, like, the next 40 minutes, I was like, oh, God. Oh, it's like a tale of two shows. I think I even tweeted that, like, it's like they wrote the first half and then they just had grade school kids write the second half. Um, but I was too early because it was about that was probably about 10.20 or 10.15. And then it got pretty good again. And then the end was actually really good. Um so, yeah, I mean, they told the story all through the night and people are saying, well, nobody, you know, people didn't stay tuned. They actually kept their numbers pretty well. And, and no, there wasn't a spike in ratings. Of course, there's not a spike in ratings. Nobody expected it to happen. This is an investment in, in the future going forward, not just because of Lashley, though. I think that, that they're probably 
very pleased. They better be very pleased about the reaction, the, the response from the fan base and, and the world at large, because it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, but this also sends a signal that the world title can change on TV so that you have to watch Raw. And there's been more title changes on TV. I mean, tag team ch championships sort of change on TV quite a bit. You know, we had the U.S. title a couple times, but now the intercontinental title, you know, more often. Uh, but world titles, that, that's been pretty rare. I think AJ Styles did it about three years ago. In, in any event, this is telling the world that you, you have to watch Raw. And it, it sent a whole bunch of signals in one show. So, yeah, I, I like the booking of it, but I'm not going to say the whole show was great. There was a there was a solid 40 minutes in there of, of Drek. I just want to do some quick raw takeaways, get them out of the way and, and quick fire them and then move on to your uh, your your uh, agenda. But I thought the match with Drew and Sheamus was good. It was a slugfest. Drew beat Sheamus clean. I, I don't know where this story goes from there. Probably nowhere. Maybe they become friends again and they go after tag team belts because I don't see any reason to uh, put Drew in the title picture, at least not give him the title anytime soon. I could see a, you know, another match or, or something. He deserves that. Um, I found it, you know, obviously this is moot now, but as of Monday night, Nia used Raquel's finisher on Naomi. So that was sort of a signal. Um, before we knew the end of the show, I, I typed that the Miz is lame, but since everyone knows the Miz is lame, why isn't the rest of the Hurt Business on Ms. Morrison watch to know that they're going to try shenanigans? Why Why is Lashley an MVP with a cane coming out? And why isn't Shelton and Cedric part of it? Obviously, that story righted itself later on. Um, I want to point out that Shane coming out, that once again, his hair color and his jacket matched. Um, his hair color is slowly changing. It was more of like a uh, 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 matte gray, like a, a gunmetal gray, and he was wearing that gunmetal blazer, sports jacket. Braun is whiny, shouldn't speak. He, he got the show wrong. Um, you know, th this this was Adam Pierce didn't even take his dress clothes off. He had dress shoes on. And why is Braun listening to Shane McMahon tag in, tag in? Hasn't he been watching SmackDown and see how poorly that worked for Otis with Gable? I mean, it was the same thing. Um, no one, no one, no one cared about Elias versus Damian Priest. No. Nope. Um, so they were doing great with Damian Priest and this Bad Bunny thing until Elias and this Jackson Riker thing. So, and it was so boring that no one even bothered to chase for the 24 7 belt. Um, so, I mean, listen, that's a mixed blessing. I'm glad there was no, there was not there, but there was, it doesn't make sense given the history of the 24 7 belt. Nobody uh, wanted to chase Bad Bunny because they're afraid of him. He's just so such a dominating character. Do they think he's the bunny from Monty Python and the Holy Grail that bites off heads? Probably. Okay, you you don't even know what that movie is, do you? No, I do. You young whippersnapper. I'm a fan, I'm a fan right. of uh, comedies. All right. So Retribution loses. You think they're going to blow up, but then Ali wins a match against Riddle, who's the losingest champion in in history. But Ali won a match. Why? So this, this Retribution thing isn't dead yet. Um, the Shane making up for his boobery earlier and confusing and being Young Bucks-like and being a heel and a face in the same show with the, the Lumberjacks thing was a nice call. And, and uh, the Hurt Business did act responsibly in that case. And yeah, ended with a new champion. So 
you know, Raw, not a lot to take away from it, but uh, except that uh, last she won, and, and I am ecstatic about it. I'm thrilled. I And so is everybody else in the wrestling community. Everybody is uh, excited. Um, for the most part, all I see is positives, oddly enough, because, you know, usually I'm used to everybody just hating and shitposting on the, the WWE. So to see everybody just in unison be applauding Bobby Lashley. The man has waited 17 years for this moment. He is long overdue and, you know, good for him. My only criticism of the match was unlike Kofi mania, you know, there was a story built between Daniel Bryan and Kofi, and they were telling that struggle in the ring as well. There really wasn't a struggle here in the match. Bobby practically squashed the Miz. Like if it wasn't no for the Miz, if the Miz wasn't running around like a chicken, this would have been a lot shorter of a match. Um, and I don't have a problem with it either. It's just it lacks that story that it lacked to me the drama of a championship title change because you knew it was gonna ha- like I I for one in my opinion I knew this was gonna happen. Well, the we minute- found the whole show on the premise that it was gonna happen, so obviously we knew it. I mean, th- yep. this is. This is the foundation upon which we we cured our cement. But I, I just think it was a different story. And the story here is that Bobby Lashley has been nigh unstoppable. He only lost his, the U.S. title via uh, yeah, someone else lost in a, in a three-way match with a surprise entrant and was hit with the crutch twice uh, to get there. And that, you know, the Hurt business wasn't fooling around. They were all business. And he was laser-focused on it. And Miz was running away, but Bobby was... Uh, unstoppable and relentless, and he was going to be a juggernaut, and that and that's what it was. And so that's a different story, and I like that story just fine. I would like to see that more often. I mean, I don't know that we've seen this since you know Brock Lesnar or maybe early Goldberg days, where there's just been you know we sort of saw it a little bit with the Fiend, but there was there were every time there was an important match, they they reverse that, which you know has caused serious harm to that character. Um, but I liked it. What, I'm having trouble. I liked it so much. I'm having trouble remembering anything from SmackDown. <laughs> I suppose we should mention that Bianca Belair did identify that she's going to challenge Sasha Banks at WrestleMania. Good call. Good choice. For whatever reason, Reginald seems to have this crush. Well, I know why you have a crush on Sasha, but he's supposed to be with Carmella, and I, I don't know really what his role in this is. I, I I think I know what it is. He's supposed to be the heel for right now. You don't really. You have Sasha playing up heel tendencies. I love the when they start planting these seeds. Like, you know, her uh, she's turned up her laughter a lot. Like, it's kind of oh, now yeah. like a mocking laughter. So it's like this is like she's starting to heal it up, but very slowly. And but is Reginald Carmella is- going to become a face after she loses her sommelier? Quite possibly. I mean. Um, you know, maybe Reginald becomes, you know, Sasha's manager. I don't know. I'm. I, this is why why I find this storyline to be intriguing. Besides the in ring action, I like the fact that hey, this might be you know, a storyline that 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 lasts a while thanks to Reginald, who we didn't even know was uh, a thing apparently. Anything else happened? I mean, I know that Otis was acting healy, and they him and uh, Gable, you know beat up the Mysterios and actually won a match this week. No, uh, nothing. Ha- I mean, the other takeaway was, you know, Daniel Bryan uh, trying to just 
you know, uh, man up to Roman Reigns and, and just, uh, you know, he had a pretty good promo. Every, anytime this guy's on Talking Smack, he, he delivers a, a great promo, sometimes better promos than when he's on SmackDown itself. So that was good. If you haven't uh, checked that out on Talking Smack, please make sure you do. Um, the last thing I want to mention, going back to the Wait, last one thing about I, Daniel Bryan, didn't he say something like CM Punk used to call himself best in the world, but I'm pretty sure I'm the best in the world. Oh yeah. Didn't that no, get the world a buzz that, Hey, CM Punk reference that, that that's a different forbidden door. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Everybody was, was speculating there, but I mean, you know, everyone's favorite straw man is, is CM Punk. He's, he's coming back to face Daniel Bryan. He's coming back for WrestleMania. He's going to be the sixth man at revolution and ladder match. He's everywhere. Oh. Oh, he's yeah. like Elvis. <laughs> and we'll get to that mystery man in AEW in, in, in just a few. Um, but before we move off of WWE, I did want to talk about um, while the ratings, the Nielsen ratings, didn't move a needle whatsoever. I think Raw came out at a 1.8. 1. 1.89. 1. I mean, they went up a bit. They went up a bit. They did seem to to do a lot better if you drill down into the numbers in those important 18 to 40, 49 uh, demographics that uh, are so coveted. They went up significantly. They jumped up a lot. But just checking out on YouTube, um, the Lashley match where he wins the title garnered... 3.7 million views. Ooh. That is, and I'm, I'm scrolling down a long ways. And, you know, just even the celebration between the Hurt Business after, before, backstage, has 1 million views. The Miz running off at the 10 o'clock hour, that has 1.7 million views. Like, the storyline related to Lashley, Lashley winning. A lot of people want to see this. And a lot of people have, have have taken to YouTube. Again, this is the new way that younger generations take a look at catching up to Raw and seeing what 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 storylines are clicking. To me, the, those analytics tell me more than the Nielsen ratings because I can see, okay, what's getting over just by what's being viewed. Well, so the time's it, good because it's the road to WrestleMania, so some of those people will probably start watching again or get the network or or check it out on Peacock. And so who knows? But yeah, uh, listen, I, I in, you know I, I know that the money comes from TV. You know, I'm I'm consistent with that. I don't ignore the fact that there's you know a million other ways that people watch things now, but the money still comes from. TV and, and, you know, not so much from YouTube, though I'm sure there's streams of income there as well. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if, it, if it's an indication of interest and curiosity, if they're going to check it out on YouTube, if they like what they see, then they'll check it out on TV, um, you know, or check it out at pay-per-view or go to a buddy's house that's going to get the pay-per-view or go <laughs> to a sports bar that's going to have it. Whatever it is, you know, eyes on the product and, you know, if they like what they see and, and you know, I, I was saying for a while that WWE, it's going to distinguish itself by being the land of the Giants again. They're, they're going to have a mix, but they're going to have they're going to focus more on, on being the Giants. You know, AEW can have their Kenny Omegas and Young Bucks, but they're going to have, you know, they're going to be featured around 250 to 350 pound people. Yep. You know, you mentioned WrestleMania 
now that Bobby Lashley is the WWE champion, what do you think his role in WrestleMania is going to be? I just think they should put him in a throne and carry him in a palaquin, and then everybody should just adorn him with with flowers and gold and and food of his choice and you know whatever whatever he wants. It should just be a, a eight hours of coronation. I think that that's all. He should get the the the, the king treatment. No, I, I mean I, I you know in in the real world, uh, I mean he should main event Saturday night. So because we know that Roman Edge is going to main event Sunday night. Um, I would prefer Lashley to main event Sunday night. I mean, he'll probably be facing Drew or maybe, you know, I know there, you know, people speculate that there'll be someone else added, whether it's a Brock Lesnar or Keith Lee, though. I don't know how he gets into that when he's been out for a while, whatever it is, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to be defending a world championship at WrestleMania, because even if the plan was to transition it back to Drew, I don't think that they're that stubborn. Drew did fine, but this is sort of like a mini phenomena, and it's not just a cultural phenomena in, in certain sectors, but even if it's mostly cultural, good, ride that wave. But everyone's, I mean, people like me, sizists, we're, we're excited. We, you know, got my comic book, you know, idol there. Uh, you know, the, the POC community is excited. Good. Um, you know, I, the, the MMA community might be excited. Good. Just, just write it. Keep, keep, keep on, keep on this hot thing. Don't, don't screw it up. Listen, I think Drew and Sheamus would make a great tag team. They'd be very entertaining. Them having a feud with the uh, other members of the Hurt Business for a while would, would be uh, quite entertaining. Um, and that's fine. And he can, you know, you know, people come up and come down. The Miz just got his uh, world title after 10 years. Okay, he had it for two weeks. Well, mm -hmm. uh, or 10 days, whatever. That, that was nine days too long. But... Uh, <laughs> No, uh, that that's that's what I think. But you know, I, I'm I'm just going to enjoy it now and and let the story plays it play out. Yep, I hear that. I mean, I, I you know, it's WrestleMania season, so everybody's talking about what's wrestle. Where where are we where are we going with this? Where are we going with WrestleMania? And you know, Drew made it clear that he wants his title back, and he uh, what was it? His goal is to get his title back and main event WrestleMania. So. Now that Lashley is the champion, is that our going to be our main event, Lashley versus Drew McIntyre, or does it need a little more? I don't know. Um, I think that that would be an interesting match, and, and I'm okay with it. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if, if they add an AJ Styles in there or, you know, everyone's talking about maybe Brock Lesnar. Um, you know, that, that could all be interesting. Um I don't think I just, it's going to be a, a, another surprise. I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, I don't think it's going to be, you know, they're going to bring up Parker Boudreaux from the PC or put him in there, you know, the, the destroyer of gods, or I don't think it's going to be carrying cross, you know, uh, you know, I, so I don't know. I, I, I'm going to let it play out. I know yeah. who, I know who had a case for it, but doesn't anymore. And that's Seamus. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that was pretty decisive. I was, I, that also shocked me that the fact that like, they they gave away that match so quickly, and also Drew wins clean, so there's no real reason to have a follow up, no, unless you want to start adding stipulations. But 
you know, I was a little disappointed at that because I liked their their work so much. Even this match that they were in together was a hard hitting match and a really good one. So Sheamus has had some great matches in the last oh, five yeah. six months. I mean, Styles, uh, Riddle, a few good ones with Riddle, um, Hardy, Jeff Hardy. Yeah, I mean, with Drew, uh, he he's been he's been great. Uh, the, the, yeah. This may be some of the greatest, the best work he's done. So, you know, he, he's definitely earning something, but no, I, you know, I mean, the problem with WWE is you can never throw out that they're going to have him, you know, ambush Drew and, and, you know, finagle his way into a match just by being extra healy. Um, but I thought that I thought the ending was great. How they were both going for their finisher at the same time and just drew got his up a, a split second before and the end, there it was. So I, yep. I think it was great. And then Seamus looked at him. It looked at him like he was looking like he was begrudging respect. It wasn't like you got lucky, kid. He was like, ah, yeah, you beat me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. I mean, all good stuff uh, from WWE. His hair was down. His hair was deflated. <laughs> the, the, the pomade or the gel ran out. Yeah. Um, that's a one uh, YouTube channel, a YouTube video I'd like to see is how does Seamus get his hair up that way? WWE, if you're watching, if you're listening, Seamus, if you're listening, yo, get on that. I need fella. a YouTube video. I need a YouTube fella of uh, the the gel and the hair routine, please. All right, Jeff, let's move on to AEW. Let's talk about it. We had uh, an AEW episode that, for the most part, started out real house of fire. We had Shaq. And Jade Cargill versus Cody and Red Velvet. I I want to say I was shocked by the placement of this match. I thought this should have been the main event, especially on a go home episode of AEW. But I I don't know. I, I maybe they're trying something new. I feel like this is the second week in a row I've said I've been disappointed by the main event. But we're here. A lot of people talking about this match, especially Shaq's bump where he went through two tables. What did you think about this match? The the, the in-ring debut of Shaq and also the in-ring, de, in-ring debut of one Jade Cargill. Yeah, I was so looking forward to shitting on this match. I was so looking forward to criticizing it. But you know what? No complaints. They, they did a great job. I'm not saying this was the best wrestling match of all time. It wasn't. Nobody should have expected that. They did really well. And they put this together... You know, with probably not that much preparation, obviously, Brandy getting pregnant sort of mid-story, um, you know, threw a monkey wrench into it. And and then Red Velvet stepped up and she filled that role nicely. I mean, yes, there were some obvious spots where they where there were signals and tapping and whispering and whatnot. But I, uh, I you know, Shaq didn't have a lot of wrestling moves, but he doesn't need to. He delivered a great power bomb, which Cody knows sold. Okay. Um, but of course. Um he but, did. but I thought Jade looked good. I thought Shaq looked good. Listen, this, this was great. This was this was a lot of fun, this match. Uh probably better than than it had any right to be. Again, I wanted to come in and, and lambaste it. I can't. I even uh took the liberty of looking at NBA Twitter, which is historically horrible towards towards AEW. No, not really. Pretty mild, actually pretty not bad at all. So and so I'm told that that's a pretty big achievement. Um, I, you know, I have no issue with the match placement. I don't think they had, they were really sure how it was going to turn out. And I think that they wanted to get the, the, 
people who are coming in to watch Shaq to, to tune in early and stay in. And I think that also explains the next match, which was, you know, a squash match, but, but you know, showcasing Phoenix and Pac, who are two of the best high flyers, really spectacular workers, but also Pac is someone that the casual wrestling fan probably would have recognized. Uh, they, they would remember him from being Adrian Neville uh, in WWE. And I think that that was purposeful to, mm-hmm. so people say, Ooh, Pac's there. Oh, and look at these guys flying around. Oh, and they, they killed these guys. You know, everyone's saying that every match here is 20, 25 minutes. No, this was a two and a half minute match. And it doesn't matter that they beat, you know, nobodies. I think one guy was named Skyler and the other guy was named like Deep Three or something like that. No, <laughs> no idea. I want to go back to one thing on, on, on the Shaq match. Yeah, sure. he took the heck of the bomb. Uh, but what I most appreciated was him beating up the useless gun club people who are apparently a part of the nightmare family, like everyone's in the nightmare family. So we beat them all up. What I am confused about, but I think that maybe will come into play another day. Maybe I'm not sure. Is that, you know, he was taken to the ambulance and then he disappeared in the ambulance and we never revisited that again. Um, He's a ghost. Yeah. That seemed a little bit strange. I'm glad that the big show, I mean, Paul White didn't play a role in this match at all. When Shaq disappeared from the ambulance, I thought for sure that was coming later. It didn't. I don't know if I'm glad about that or not. Um, but I don't know. Maybe to be continued. Maybe dropped. There's been lots of stories with AEW that, that just get dropped. But uh, yeah, that, that was I, noteworthy. I like that you said you have no complaints. But guess who does? You? Absolutely. Okay. You know it wouldn't be the Hammerlock Hangover without me trashing some shit about uh, AEW. And is listen, it QT's hair plugs? And then he got those hair plugs, and then he got like a buzz cut. Oh, without a doubt. There's that, and there's apparently you know I don't know if you take wrestling lessons from that guy with the guy with plugs, but whatever. Anyways, we're not here for that. But <laughs> you know, Shaq goes through this table. Yeah, kudos to Shaq. He did a great job. The power bomb was phenomenal uh shades of kevin nash as a big man Shaq looked legit you know what didn't make him look legit cody fucking Rhodes. like <laughs> i'm starting to believe that cody is who everybody claims he is that he just is in business for himself the guy gets power bombed and maybe he felt a certain way because Shaq is kind of showboating to the fans like yeah look at me i did a i did a wrestling move let the man have the guy's fucking near seven feet tall. Like the shit looked fucking devastating. And what does Cody do? He just moves and uppercuts him. Like where's a where's a false finish? Where's a where's like a, a close pinfall? Not even. Come on, Cody. What are you doing? And then, you know, uh, you got this this uh, this spot with the with the tables. Again, kudos to Shaq. A million bucks, my man. But then you got Cody huddled over behind, over him like, are you okay, buddy? Are you okay? Like, it takes me out. And so, Cody good yeah. Cody. Fuck Cody's Cody, just going like, to roll down that roads. <laughs> God, Jesus. We should make yeah, that a shirt. Right. Like, His entrance was great with, the like, the purple nebula or whatever. He, he keeps finding more opulent ways of coming in. Pretty soon, he's going to come down a gold escalator like, the, like Donald Trump. Oh yeah! Oh, oh, please! That that'll be for the big show. Uh, the what is it? What is it? Uh, AEW uh, sold out. What is it? What do they call it? 
all well, all could, in or all out or whatever. Well, Who gives revolution a revolution coming next? But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Listen, so I, that was my my beef, and then like you know, that's the climax of the match, right? Is the table spot, and then you've got Jade and Red Velvet doing some sort of business for another couple minutes. Just have Jade do a fucking spear and be done with it. Like Jade, at least she won the match. She looked like a million bucks. But yeah. from when yeah. from they, when they, Shaq goes through the table to when minutes later she ends up getting the pin, it makes it seem like Jade doesn't give a fuck about uh, Shaq because he's like still minutes later after she gets the win, he's still, you know, calling for the general because he's got to check his insurance as far as uh, his coverage is for uh, medical. For, for, first of all, he's got plenty of icy blue. Or icy hot, whatever he uses, the general's car insurance, and Jane <laughs> is a professional. Okay, she was there with a job to do. She's a professional athlete. She's focused. Her job was to win. She's not an EMT. She's not a doctor. She's not going to administer healthcare to him. Her job was to win the match. She won the match. No issues with it. She was resplendent in gold. Looks like they could put her to Paradise Island right now, and she could be running around with Gal Gadot and and yes. Robin Wright and and you know, Hipp Hipp Hippolyta or whatever they all Hippolyta. Are, yeah, yeah, Hippolyta and whatever she could be taking on Ares and Apocalypse and you know, uh, <laughs> Dark Seed and you know the joke. Dark Side. Dark Side. Okay, listen, I you know I'm I'm only so geeky. Copy that. So yeah, other than that, I had no problems with uh, this match. Oh, oh, also, I would have really enjoyed if Cody ate a spear from Jade Cargill, but I didn't get that either. So I'm that that would that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Yes, yeah, Cody does what Cody does. I mean, Cody can't look bad no matter what. Uh, yeah. Um, so we we got what we got. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get more into Cody in a, in a few minutes. Go ahead. Really? Yeah, I got I got some stuff. Okay. Well, at this point is where I thought Dynamite started going Shit's down. Oh. Um, I know some people think it started going downhill later on, but it seems to be universally agreed that Hour 2 was a far cry from Hour 1, and Hour 2 was a bit of a mess. I thought the MJF Jericho press conference was dopey as hell. I mean, I'm not going to say that there weren't some funny parts, but they're clever. There, there are some funny parts, but that wasn't press. You couldn't hear the first guy's question, which is just a, another of the series of you know minor tech problems that they seem to have. Um, all the stupid jokes, fat jokes on Conrad, Eric Bischoff again. Um, you know, two guys from Barstool Sports. Uh, I mean, talking about Papa Bach and and Eric Bischoff with his dumb, you know. Where would you list this as your stupid ideas from bad creative or wh whatever it was? Um, you know, the Bucks with their strange lines and our father couldn't afford to put us through college, so he built us a wrestling ring. Is that good parenting? I mean, sure, it worked out in this case, but I'm pretty sure for that more people end up like superhuman than the young Bucks. With that. <laughs> um, you know, when when Cutler comes out and there's the, you know, the... First of all, where was Jake Hager? Well, actually, no. Who cares about where Jake Hager was? Um, there's this, there's this scrum in this fight, and the Good Brothers again come out delayed, and you think that that's part of the, the story that they're coming out delayed. They're not really on the side of the Bucks, but no, they just 
They just strolled out when they wanted to, help set up tables, help put down Santana Ortiz, who collateral damage again. They both eat table spots from, from the Bucks. Not Jericho, not MJF, because it's got to be PNP. Collateral damage once again. Um, and Don't get we, me started. Then we got the Mox Omega story recap. So the, I don't care about this except to say that at least we found out why Omega was building that contraption. Apparently it's the ring barriers and the ropes are replaced with barbed wire. So at least that makes sense. And then apparently all of a sudden on the screen is Japanese fat Elvis speaking about the like barbed wire exploding landmine death matches. They don't tell us who it is. I guess we're supposed to know who it is. It was someone named Onita who they said later on, who I guess is one of the innovators of these matches. I mean, I don't know if he's before Terry Funk or, you know, whatever. But, you know, it was sort of like Roy Orbison, you know, or, or Crocodile, uh, Bill Dundee back back from the day. But I had Japanese fat Elvis. Uh, so sorry, no disrespect. But I, I think that I'm very clever with that line. And you know what? I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> and then we get FTR coming out with Tully Blanchard and J.J. Dillon. Oh, this one. Yeah, and there was there was... I don't know. Again, too much. He's got his U.S. title. J.J. Dillon's managing him. Tully is wearing his bowling gear, apparently. He's wearing, like wearing a bowling <laughs> shirt. That said, you know, Tully was a good sport in this. <laughs> oh, but, my God, Jeff, you're right. He looked like um, Bill Murray in – no, no, not Bill Murray. What's his name? Um, oh, God. Um, the fucking bartender in Cheers. Oh, my Woody? God. What's his name? Woody, yes. Yeah. You ever watch the movie Kingpin? Yes. Oh my God, he looked like him. I know. Holy <laughs> I fuck! Know. He, was wearing, <laughs> he was wearing his 1980s bowling shirt. I'm not. I wasn't kidding. I mean, this and the matching pants too. The the best part of the match. I mean, listen, Tully was a sport. He he did a whole lot more than anyone expected, including having you know uh, Marco thrown on him. Sure, he weighs a, a buck, but still, Tully's 67. He did the assisted spike pile driver. He faked the 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 tope suicida which was a funny thing and then he then he's like hey, i'm not gonna do it and he starts to strut which was good but when that happened and i'm probably the only person that, that paid attention to this or wrote it down so this is the insight you get only from hammerlock hangover his collar popped and the ref took the time to come over to him and put the collar down like that <laughs> it's like and he like he like flattened it it's like like his mother no 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 you're not boating you don't need to put your collar up I mean, the whole thing—the whole thing was funny, and, and you know. And then, of course, your favorite guy uh, comes up as the mystery man to interfere. So they have J.J. Dillon doing interference, and then Sean Spears comes out. The gang is reunited. You remember Sean Spears? Who? Exactly. Well, you never missed him. He's the guy with the now a blonde mohawk. Um, so apparently, he quit only to go back to exactly where he was. And then we have this sort of silly scene where Aaron Anderson comes out and he's, I guess, cause they can't oh do God, the full horseman symbol without violating, you know, some sort of trademark or whatever. Right. He acts like he's counting to four and then puts his hand up, but you have two members of you. So you've got cash and Dax, you have Sean Spears, you have Tully Blanchard and James J. Dillon. So that's five, not four. So Aaron like Sammy Guevara can't count either. And so they had the, the, that silly uh, spot. 
it's not that Arn can't count. It's just you know the glasses aren't strong enough. He probably hasn't you know changed his prescription since you know the the late nineteen uh, hundreds. So he uh, can't see very well, and probably thought he saw four figures in the ring, and so thought he'd put up four fingers and and in some sort of you know it's so funny that you mentioned that there's got to be some sort of trademark issue with them calling them the four horsemen because. That's exactly what I thought last night. Like you saw Shivani, JR, all tripping over themselves, wanting to say, oh, oh, you know what that means? Like, mm-hmm. no, why don't you elaborate? Why don't you tell me what that means? Oh, you can't say it, can you? You can't say Four Horsemen because WWE owns that. Right. So I thought and that then, was intriguing. And then more yucky to yuck, inside joke stupidity. So they're all going out, and and Tony's out there. So presumably he's that's going to interview them. And you know, Tully is there. JJ Dillon is there. He's got his U.S. title. They just won a big match. What's next for you guys? Is there any symbolism to you all being together? No, he's not out there to talk to them at all. And JJ says something, and Tony goes, "Oh, you're not getting paid anymore for those words, or something like that." I mean. It's just, it's just dumb. You, I mean, you don't need to let people know that they're being paid per, you know, appearance. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you, you know, uh, you want everyone to think that, you know, everyone's making millions of dollars doing this and he's really a manager. Um, I thought it was funny, but also I'd like to just jump in here and say, J.J. Dillon looked remarkably well for his age. Like the guy seems like he hasn't aged in 20, 25 years. The guy looks like he stepped out of the, 90, the late 90s and still is the same guy. Some people sort of always look old. And so, <laughs> like, like some people like, always look like, like Arn Anderson always looked like he was 40. You know, yeah. so, Like so, Ian McKellen? Right, yeah. So he looks like he aged 20 years when he's actually, you know, during my life <laughs> of knowing him. He's, he's aged, you know, 42 years or something. Um, so... Anyway, so I like how I was trying to throw a compliment and then that was a reverse compliment, which is actually a diss. <laughs> Back in the 90s, you're like, yeah, he looked old as fuck for the 90s. Well, no, no, JJ, you know, he's he's well preserved. That's good for him. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I hope he's living his best life. Uh, like you know. jam or wine, he's well. <laughs> yeah, he's he's his his tannins are are where they should be, I guess. So. Now we're talking about AEW Dark Elevation instead, and Paul White comes out, and there's the lame joke he makes, who saw this turn coming? Shut up. And then he got some scoop about some new signee at Revolution. It's not who you think it's going to be. I don't know if you want to get into that now or if you want to wait. Yeah, let's get into it now. Okay. First off, you also forgot to mention, he comes out with this with this new, new shirt, which is like, I guess because... All of AEW shirts come from pro wrestling tees who are notoriously like one size smaller than than they really are. <laughs> the shirt looks like he got this shirt at Baby Gap. Like it's just way too tight. And granted, Big Show lost a lot of weight. Paul White lost a lot of weight and is in really great shape for his age. But when you wear a really tight shirt, you still look fat. And so... The first thing I saw, which the shirt says, no more BS, which means no more big show. Ha, ha, ha. Again, there's another uh, lame joke. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, the first thing I thought of was like, did Vince tell him to put a shirt on because he's too fat? Like, what? 
is is Tony Khan now being Vince McMahon? Like, what what happened here? What happened to the suit? I saw a Chiron last week of the man in the suit. Now the guy's wearing uh, shirts that he can't fit into. It's horrible. Well, he, they wanted to see if he was going to break Sting's record, and clearly not because we haven't heard a thing about it. Um, yeah, got it. I didn't forget about it. I just don't care about the shirt. I think it was dumb. So. I hear you, but maybe there's somebody here that thought it was really good joke, and then we're like, I plunked down twenty five bucks for that shitty shirt. You know, fine. Yeah, you know, people get well. Yeah, somebody watching uh, unpopular review last night said that they were going to get the shirt, and I said, great. But if you've got the extra money, why don't you become a Patreon? You know, throw throw a little bit of, of it our way. But no, listen. Here you go. All success to all people. You know, even you know, I don't mean even Paul White. Like I, I mean, I like. Paul White. I, I like the giant. I like the big show. I mean, I don't have any issue with him. I don't have any issue with him being AW. I happen to think that that the more I think about it is that there's a pretty darn good chance that he's the person that's going to be the sixth person in that match. Um, I mean, they made a big deal about him having a wrestling license and he said it's not who you think. Well, who is it that we think? I mean, is it CM Punk? Is it Ryback? Because there's been a lot of smoke there. I mean, who does he think that we think it is? Does he think we think it's going to be Okada? I mean, you know, he's had a Hall of Fame-worthy career. Well, he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. I mean, I know that the Hall of Fame is extraordinarily subjective, um, but, you know, it's that's, that's not the Trinidad. Is that a Chavo Guerrero or Carlito? It's not a Chris Masters. Is it Ryback? I don't know. Uh, I mean... So, I wouldn't really necessarily say Ryback had a Hall of Fame career, so I don't think it's Ryback. You think this is the first time I'm hearing uh, this this angle? You think it's this is like it was me, Austin? It's me all along. You think Big Show is referring to himself? Yeah, I think he's going to turn again. I mean, they made a big deal about him having a wrestling license. He didn't come out in a suit. I mean, I know it was partially to sell T-shirts. Uh, Shaq disappeared, which seems to me that, that they're going to want to put those two together again. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just following breadcrumbs. Listen, I, I was wrong about Shaq interfering in the Cody. I'm sorry about Paul White interfering in the Shaq Cody match. I was wrong about that. So there's a very good chance that I'm wrong about this too. I just, uh, I mean, I have my other suspects as well. I mean, I do think that there's a reasonable chance it's Ryback when there's smoke. There's often fire. Um, you know, Carlito just, you know, was sort of dispatched by WWE and he's admitted there were, there were companies interested in him. He named Impact and NWA, but come on. Um, he was also on a show that we're going to talk about a little bit later that Joey Ryan was trying to secretly promote and that show has been scrubbed. Um, so, so Carlito is still out there in, in the ether. Um, did he have a Hall of Fame career? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe not, uh, you know. So there's, there's, you know, there, there's people. I mean, there's Austin Aries. There's James Storm. I mean, ah, there, there's no shortage. Sure but is this going to be another Matt Seidel moment? I mean, how many people would are there that, to get excited about? You can't have Alberto Del Rio. He's pending charges for domestic assault. Um, who, who, I, who I, I want to say that this is going to be another letdown by... Again, uh, maybe not. That's the wrong way to put it. Sorry, not another letdown. I'm just gonna warn everybody, all our listeners, all the wrestling fans. Keep your expectations low. Simmer down your enthusiasm, because 
if you really ramp it up and expect that John Cena is going to show up or The Undertaker, you've got another thing coming. It's yeah. probably going to be Mark Henry. Right. And it's not going to be Brock Lesnar. And it's it's not going to be CM Punk. I mean, I guess there's some chance it could be CM Punk. I, I mean, he already like, he already said it on Twitter this afternoon that uh, it's not him. Yeah, I mean, who knows if he's telling the truth or not? I don't care. I mean, I, I missed most of the of the CM Punk, uh, you know, heyday. So um, I'd but, be excited yeah, to I, see if it. I would be excited if it was Thea Trinidad, and if she's the manager of LAX, I think that sure. But, is an interesting story. But under any definition, does she have a Hall of Fame worthy career? Mm, no. Yeah. Not yet. Um, not yet. That's what that's what I'm saying. Not yet. But we're talking about by Sunday. So so anyway, I mean, all right. That, 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 that's what I thought. Now Let's talk a little bit about what happened next, but we have to build up a little bit to it and just go, going over the women's tournament bracket. So we had Yuka. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, uh, and the 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 viewership on YouTube and stuff backs it up that, that other people felt the same way. This has been terrible. And this is, I don't know if they're trying to get Bushirod, which is the parent company of Stardom and New Japan, as much money as possible to, to make them happy. I don't know if this is just Kenny Omega having, you know, his complete say with this. And, and we all know that he loves Josie wrestling and, and that's fine. He can, but I mean, I thought the, the tournament on the Japanese side was mostly terrible and was at least partly an indictment of the AEW women's division. Anyway, Yuka Sakazaki, who I actually thought had a pretty good match lost to Rio Miz Mizunami. Um, so this was a no-sell match, and, and Rio is terrible. Rio is not Riho. Uh, Thunder Rosa um, beat Rio, which was a nice little surprise, but then Thunder Rosa lost to Nyla Rose, who did pretty well in this tournament, and Vicky Guerrero was nowhere to be found. So most of her success has been without Vicky Guerrero. She also won the, the AW title before Vicky Guerrero. So that's going to come up in a little bit. So we have the women's tournament. There were some tech issues with, with Bleacher Report Live, of course. So then they dropped it on YouTube. I mean, you know, typical little rinky-dink stuff that, that, that happens, like the guy's mic not working on the Barstool Sports commercial. Um, the women's tournament file, files, let's just say that, that, that they started with 257,000. They ended with 167,000. Uh, watching. So this is Rio Mizunami versus Nyla Rose for the number one contender. Vicky finally showed up. She was loud as can be, irritating as hell, and Nyla Rose lost. So Vicky shows up, Nyla loses. That's the pattern. Hashtag fire Vicky too. So oh, no. that that's right. Hashtag fire Vicky too. And I think if you review the history, you will see that Nyla's success is before Vicky. And she's had limited success and mostly failure post Vicky. And she did great in this tournament, lost a match to an inferior talent, probably because Vicky was there. And she probably broke her inner eardrum uh, and affected her balance from that screeching. She probably has like inner cochlear damage. Uh, it might be permanent. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried, actually. She, hopefully she's at a local medical facility getting that checked out. But fire Vicky Guerrero, too. Terrible. And... Unlike Taz, who can be put on commentary, 
Vicky should just be, you know, put somewhere far, far away. You know, you said, is this Kenny Omega just having his way? I think that's exactly what this is because why would, what do we give a fuck about Ryu? What's her name? Ryu Mizunami? Ryu, yeah, Mizunami. And she is, I don't know how to put this. She's really bad at wrestling. She doesn't (laughs) sell. She doesn't, she doesn't have a good look. She doesn't, she's not particularly athletic. I mean, I guess she's supposed to be a powerhouse, but she looked very small next to Nyla. A lot of people look small next to Nyla, but she didn't, if it's going to be a powerhouse versus a powerhouse, the other person should look like a powerhouse. I mean, if they want to have a bad match, they could have done it with Aja Khan. At least she's big. Um, yeah. Anyway. I, I just, this match just sucked ass. Like, yeah, th- there's no selling all over the place. I've got a big problem with Nyla because she just doesn't sell. Like, there's there's no registering of movements. Like, <laughs> I, I like that Nyla. Apparently, I guess there was this one move where Ryu won with this apron leg drop. I want to say earlier in the tournament, she does this to Nyla. Nyla then is knocked out for the better part of the ten count. Come, come! Here comes the nine count, and she gets up, sprints in there, eats a leg drop. Right, the same leg drop but not on the end of the apron. And Nyla kicks out at what I believe is one and a half. Like, ridiculous. It's just, I I can't with this. I can't with this anymore. And who gives a fuck about Sheeta and Ryu Mizunami? Like, I was arguing with somebody saying, because they watch Stardom or whatever, wherever wherever they come from, and they're like, oh, this this is a story that's, long overdue and it's there's a backstory and i'm like hey i don't give a fuck about this backstory this is a non-aw backstory if i gotta go do research fuck this yeah you're 100 right and they're not going to tell the backstory in the next four days or now the next three days um no this, yeah. this, this is this is terrible if you're gonna promote a title match at least have one of the people who can cut promos Or yeah, firstly, they they don't even tell stories in the ring with the Josie wrestling. I mean, that's what I've seen largely is that it's it's basically pinball. They no sell, no sell, no sell until they decide the match is over, um, oh which is sort of hardly noticeable in in the AEW context. I hate to say it, but no, I don't. Um, but I mean, somebody should speak English. And if and if Britt was going to lose, it should have been because Thunder Rosa cost her the match. That at least would have made sense. Yeah, I mean, so there were opportunities there to further other stories, and apparently that you know in the kickoff show or, or the pre-show, because there's both. There's a there's a special episode of Dark, then there's a, a kickoff or pre-show, and there's like a a buy-in match or whatever whatever that means. <laughs> um, but Thunder Rosa and someone I can't even remember who it is is in a tag team match I think against Britt Baker and someone else. Um, I didn't even write it down, and and I don't I don't I have to say that. You know, for a pay-per-view that's been sort of built for about five months now, I don't think I've remembered a pay-per-view with this kind. You know, when you only have four a year that I've been less interested in seeing. I mean, I have to see it for the podcast and, you know, some of our other projects. Um, 
and I actually haven't missed an AEW pay-per-view, just despite everyone thinking I'm a hater. I've paid for every one. I've even gone to one. Um, <laughs> I mean, there were two that were free, the Fighter Fest or the Fight for the Fallen. Um, and then there was one that the, I, the cable company advertised for $9.99, and I fought with them saying, I, I had screenshots. I said, I'll pay $9.99, but you're charging me $59.99. And they just wrote it off. So I guess I ended up not paying for that one. But that was... <laughs> They made an offer and I accepted it. Um, and I had the screenshots and, and it happened to lots and lots of people. So I had their screenshots too. Anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. The point is, is, is that even if you think I'm a lousy fan, I'm a good customer. Um, <laughs> and which is more important really in the end. In any event, I, I'm not particularly excited about this, this pay-per-view. And, you know, maybe if somebody was cutting promos, uh, you know, or if there was a manager, a spokesperson for Rio telling this story, I doubt I'd still be excited about it, but at least maybe I'd understand why they ended it this way. Right now, the only thing I can think of is this was Kenny's idea. And I mean, frankly, if they want to have a Joshi, Joshi wrestler, Yuko is better. And the whole world lo loves this Maki Ito girl. So put her on. Oh, I, I'm so with you, Jeff. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm besides the death match that you know. I already spoiled the ending. I, if you didn't hear last week's episode, I'll tell you right now. The ending is John Moxley loses because it was his idea all along, and he begged, pleaded. He's probably paying some portion of Kenny Omega's uh, check. To come up with the, this idea, everybody was like, why is Omega coming up with this ludicrous idea? It's not even his match. This is why. Because Moxley doesn't want to go home and be a dad to Renee uh, Paquette's uh, kid. And so he's like, hey, Kenny, uh, I want you to blow. This is my best uh, Moxley impression, by the way. It's really good. Uh, uh, hey, Kenny, I want you to blow me up. That way I can go back to my uh, hideaway you, in Nicaragua. What? I want me. I want you to blow me up. <laughs> this is a family show. I want you to blow me up, uh, so I can go back to my hideaway in Nicaragua and happening? not come back here. So that's exactly why uh, Moxley is in this match, and that's why he's going to lose. But back to my point, this is the reason. That's the only reason I'm interested in this pay per view. Other than that, I could care less about anything that's happening on this pay per view because guess what? This entire go-home show of AEW did absolutely nothing to get me excited about this. Like, your main event was Matt Hardy? Matt Hardy and, what, a face-off with Adam Page? And yeah. and, a, and, and, a, and, a, and a, what was it, a 30-man melee with a bunch of jobbers? I mean, what? That's supposed to get a, a, a Donnie Brook with a, a jobber. Donnie Brook was supposed to get me excited to be like, let me plunk down my sixty dollars right here, right now. Fuck out of here! This is ridiculous. And, and it doesn't like it doesn't even look like the Good Brothers are in this in this tag team battle royal. I mean, so I, I, I mean, listen, we we've been skeptical about this relationship all along. We tipped our hat to the Matt Hardy private party stuff because that was a bit of a surprise but it also seems to be over and you know we heard we all heard the stories about sammy guevara and impact and tony khan not being thrilled with him i'm not sure how big a deal or how real that was or wasn't but and i don't know if that has any effect on what's happening going forward but you know i do know one thing is that 
impact dropped 46,000 from last week from 170,000 to 134,000. So whatever audience was checking out impact, they checked out and they're actually below their 2020 numbers by 19,000. So not only did they lose the AEW spike, but they seem to have lost some of their own audience too. It's just decided, nah, this ain't for us anymore. So I do want to do one thing on Moxley, which is completely unrelated to today's uh, or the, this current show, but I'm going to take a victory lap here because everyone thought Kenta was going to win. And I'm like, no, this whole thing is so that Moxley can wrestle on U.S. soil for New Japan. And he's definitely retaining that title because New Japan has been sold on or decided that, hey, Moxley is an upgrade over Kenny Omega. We, he's more marketable. He's more famous in the U.S. than Kenny Omega, and we can build our North American expansion around him. So I'm taking a victory lap because I think I'm like the only one who called it, or at least the only one I heard. And so <laughs> You're the only I, one I, that cared. Uh, I really didn't care, but it, it just seemed obvious that the you know the, the the limits of this relationship, especially when it came out that that Finn Juice was were going to impact no matter what. It, it was completely unrelated. It's just it's just timing um, that solidified my belief that, that, that this is the whole basis of the relationship. It, it's not kicking open a forbidden door because New Japan really wants to work with AEW. It's that New Japan wanted to have a big name U.S. star to be the um, masthead or the uh, the uh, standard bearer for their expansion. And they said, huh, you know what? We wanted Omega before, but as it turns out, Omega ain't that famous in the U.S. This Moxie guy, he'll do. He'll do just fine. Um, and that and that's what this whole thing's about. So uh, well played, New Japan. Well played. I'm telling you right now, he's going to he's going to abscond with that new japan title just like he did back when he was afraid of that typhoon a couple well, of months listen, ago this is uh, this is like america it's the u.s title but uh, you know details details he's not coming back with this title he's not giving it back he's not going back to japan this guy i know the type of character that this guy moxley is he's <laughs> well, the you, type you, of guy that will, with this. he's ah. the type of guy that will buy a tv from a target and take the tv out when it gets home and then fill the box with a bunch of cinder blocks and be like, go back to target and say, Oh, I'm sorry. I bought this TV, but it was just a bunch of cinder blocks. And then he'd get his money back and a free TV. No, no, no. I'm telling you what he does. He, he's the kind of guy. Oh, I can't believe him. He's the kind of guy who goes <laughs> to Delaware, buys a, a TV from target, several TVs, uh, cause there's no sales tax, but then he goes to a target in Maryland and he returns it and he gets the 6% back sales tax back on the refund. Oh yeah! Oh no! Without a doubt, that's that's the type of guy that Moxley is. Yeah, he yeah, seems that's, that's that's, even worse. and then and then he and then he calls that hardcore. All right. So our next oh, it's Sting, and I groaned. I audibly groaned. By the way, a little editorial. Cody had a conference call earlier in the day. It was aired on Figure Four online, and he said that Sting came up in an era when when Sting was a light heavyweight. What? Sting was never a light heavyweight in his era. Sting wasn't the biggest guy, but he was a big guy. He wasn't small by any definition. He was he was on the average to above average side of professional wrestlers in his era. So who said this? Cody. They're, 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 he 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 was basically pointing out that 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 we we forget that Sting is a big guy. You know when he was talking about how he moves around and, and things like that. No, we don't forget that Sting is a big guy. We see him. He's we see him standing next to Darby Allen being a foot taller. 
But well, listen, he was, he was never a light heavyweight. <laughs> I mean, it was just a stupid comment. Anyway, Sting is saying he's a light. He he's a light heavyweight compared to Dusty. Perhaps, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. Um, so Sting is ready. He's, you know, he's got it. And then he gets interrupted. Is it by Taz this time? No, it's Ricky Starks coming out solo. And he says, Sting, I can admit I'm a man enough to say that I see a fire in you and you still got it, but you're no icon. And he slaps him. So then Sting beats him up. He uses the clothesline. He does the Stinger splash. Pretty impressive for a, for a 61 year old. Then he does the Scorpion Deathlock. He sinks it in, cinches it in a little bit, and then all of a sudden, other members from Team Taz come out. All of them rushing? No. You have Will Hobbs coming, and for whatever reason, he can't pull Ricky Starks to safety. Hook tries to climb up. He's like he's like a discombobulated monkey trying to climb up into the ring. He gets on Sting's back to try and like. I guess hook him off, but he fails. So two guys can't free Starks from from Sting, and then all son Taz and and Cage decide eh, no rush, but we'll come in then. And so Cage lands a little blow, and then uh, Darby comes out, and Darby and Sting embarrass Cage, who, despite Hobbs being uninjured, Hook really only just being tossed off uh, Sting's back. And Starks, being a professional wrestler, and Taz being unaffected, they do nothing. They they stand there and bravely do nothing. So they embarrass Cage, and then Taz's group bravely walks away. Terrible. Terrible. I mean, the strategery around here? I mean, come on. Starks out alone. You got two guys who can't get their act together. They can't handle one. You didn't see Darby coming? Come on. I mean, have you been watching the show for the last seven weeks? <laughs> Then you come out slowly, and Taz is again not doing anything. I mean, this is this is embarrassing, and there, there there is no way on our earth they can come out on top on this street fight and Sting's first match back with the TNT champion Darby. It, I mean, hashtag fire Taz. I, I cannot believe that everyone doesn't see this, including Team Taz, maybe especially Team Taz. I mean, his son. Why can't his son be like Seth Green in, in Austin Power? <laughs> he should be like if they want to have a yuck yuck joke, he should be trying to kill his father. That's that should be the current he should be trying to kill his father and failing. Oh my god, that's classic. This was this was terrible. So hashtag fire Taz. I mean, just awful. Um so then we have Max Caster and Ten in a match to qualify for this Face of the Revolution ladder match for a number one contendership for the TNT Championship. Neither Ten nor Max Caster have done anything to distinguish themselves in any way, shape, or form in singles matches that they should be qualifying for anything for a title contendership. I don't understand it. Um, negative Max, one is there. Max Caster did something. What? His partner got injured. Yeah, well, there, there you go. So are they, so are they not in the tag team battle royal? Well, obviously not. Um, Swell. So another guy gets injured. So negative one is there. I don't want to say it again because everyone just thinks I'm a Grinch now. But Evil, Evil Jr. What's that? Evil Junior. Evil. Yes. Well, yeah. That it, it it's too much and like there's no end in sight. Obviously, and I was like, he's having the time of his life. You know what? I understand. It's great, but I mean, kids also have to learn to to adjust to things. And this is like a kid having summer camp all all year long. I mean, <laughs> mother, 
But a lot of people said if it continues, it's 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 going to be borderline exploitative, and those people keep seeming to move the goalposts ever further. I understand how I how I sound now, so I'm just going to stop. Um, there's there's only one payoff here. I'll save this. There's there's only one payoff, and I I kind of saw the the inklings of this at the end of AEW because in this thirty man jobber melee, Matt Hardy finds his way to escape Adam page. And he starts walking up the ramp and he goes face to face with evil junior, which I thought was like, okay, here's, he's got to do some dastardly thing, like push him over or something, but no, he didn't do anything. He just kind of like talked down to him and then walked away. So he, he taunted him a second time. Um, I think this is going to lead to a match between evil junior and, and Max. Yes. With Nicholas the, the referee. Yes, that's the payoff. Yeah, awesome. Um, so <laughs> some points on this. One, Scorpio Sky is on commentary. He reveals that he's recovering from an injury. And Scorpio Sky was being really healy. So I think there's yeah. an attitude change there. So he was very full of himself. 50% of me is better than 100% of them. So anyway, the, the payoff to this match is that Jack Evans came out from under the ring and, and uh, hit 10 with the boombox. Um, so now we have two people in one show who snuck out from under a ring and used a foreign object to influence and, and change the match. So listen, one is fine. Two is too much. Just like last week where there were three guys beat up in, in the back. <laughs> so, you know, I, too many I thought people, it was Sean Spears again. Yeah. Too many people booking and being agents for their own match without any sort of storyline continuity, sort of, sort of, oh, sort of like a showrunner to say, no, it's the same thing over and over again. You shouldn't do that. They, they, they need something like that. Hardy paid Jack Evans $4,200 for it. I, I don't know why they made a big deal about $4,200. Maybe somebody can tell me what the significance of $4,200 is. I don't, I don't get it. It sort of made sense. It's part of his vendetta against the Dark Order. But if that's the case, why didn't he plan for the Dark Order in the main event? Like, why didn't he have like the the lumberjacks full of mercenaries surrounding the ring for security, or at least Dan Helico and Jack Evans standing there, and Isaiah Cassidy, you know, his his three guys there, um, while him and Mark Quinn. I mean, at least have his guys there. But you know, why why not come in with your own version of J and J security or whatever the, whatever it is? Bring in the AOP or something, you know, and and Eric Rowan as your as your hospital. I mean, I'm just I'm not saying pay ever. I'm just saying that if he had enough foresight to pay for the result in a match that his guys weren't involved with to punish the Dark Order, why wouldn't he take precautions in a match where he's involved with with a member of the Dark Order, despite the fact that he was planning to lose anyway and do an ambush? I mean, wouldn't it be more effective if his ambush had twelve people instead of just him with a microphone. So again, no no logical continuity there. Big money Matt Hardy is a is a cerebral guy. He sh- he should have thought about that. You know um what's the similarity between Matt Hardy and me after watching this? Punch drunk. We're both concussed. <laughs> so basically syn- synonyms. I don't even want to talk too much about the Miro promo. He basically said he stopped playing games. We're finally going to see the monster. He spoke in Russian and then yelled game over. Okay. Yeah, that I, I, I had a hard time buying that as serious as it was because of the fucking dumbness like that is his booking leading up to this. I want to go back quickly just to Scorpio Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, if 
here's here's my problem with his booking. I and and now again, I've you know uh, run it ragged about how horrible you know. He, oh, he's the next guy. He's the next guy, and then he gets squashed by Cody. Um, so what a run! But on WWE, you see black talent looking really sharp. You see Lashley, the Hurt Business in suits. Even on SmackDown, you see Apollo Crews looks like, you know, royalty, right? He's he, the Street Profits, he, Bianca, Sasha. Street pro. Everybody looks fucking money. Naomi. And so he. And so thank you. Yes, everybody. Everybody looks money. Scorpio Sky comes to the ring and he's 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 licking his eyebrows, saying he's smooth and he's cool. Swerve even on NXT, even the NXT talent look. Cameron Grimes looks like he's got it more together than than Scorpio Sky. Scorpio Sky comes out. Not that I'm saying Cameron Grimes is, uh, you know, uh, black. What I'm saying is Cameron <laughs> Grimes is 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 newsflash. He's not. But, but what I'm saying is he's supposed to be like the poor man's. You know, that's why, you know, he's he doesn't have a lot. He's not well to do. All right, is what I'm saying. I and do so not Scorpio. Know. Let's just edit out that correlation. <laughs> Scorpio Sky. No, it's funny. So Scorpio Sky um, is at ring at, you know, in the announce booth, and he's wearing like a green hoodie that he looked like he bought at Target. Like, I understand that, you know, you're comfortable. I guess that's important. But like, where's the persona? Where's like the, the Ric Flair robe? Where's the swag? Like, don't come at me saying, Oh, half of me is better than a hundred percent of you. You look like a bum. How am I taking you seriously? And and wouldn't it make sense if Matt Hardy paid him instead? I mean, <laughs> otherwise, you're right. He could have come out in a suit if he wasn't going to get involved. Exactly. Like, oh, I just I had a hard time believing anything that came out of his mouth just because his look. Like, again, if he looked like he was from Kmart, like. What 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 type of champion are you, or a winner, or, or this you know up and coming guy? Like you look, it just it took me out. I'm sorry. He's, he's a YouTube winner. Oh my god, I've seen guys better dressed on YouTube. It's ridiculous. Yes. Anyway, that's just including the the greatest gift that wrestling and AEW has given to me inadvertently on YouTube. Girl in cinema, who is, I mean, <laughs> just so entertaining. I I'm a big fan. I'm putting her over. Oh my God, for real! I, I, I I'm glad I, I found her. Yeah, she no, is, she's Jim uh, Cornette's daughter. I love it. It's she's hilarious. like the daughter I never had. I mean, this, this, this is this is fabulous. I mean, uh, I don't I don't know. If, I mean, listen, she's 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 not always spot on about everything, but she's entertaining. She's funny and she's sarcastic and she's mean. She's she's like me. So you know, it's it's, it's good. I I mean, yeah, she's like the daughter I I never had. Absolutely. Um, so that's right, shrimp dicks. That's right, Shrimp Dicks. I love that. Um, by the way, Miro, we're waiting. We are anxiously waiting for you to be the monster and ditch Kip and, and be serious. That I, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I'm waiting. Well, I'm saying it right now. Lana's winning gold before Miro is. Let's be real. <laughs> I, I'd say that that's probably true. We already talked about the main event, which was a horrible main event and how it ended in this ridiculous scrum. All I want to say is at some point, Mark Quinn did a kick that was supposed to be to Paige's kneecap and like maybe it got ankle high 
And then he kicked Hardy by accident, which you thought would have played into the story, but it didn't. And then Hardy refused to tag in and he rolled Quinn back, but that didn't really factor into the end. I mean, it's like all these things happen that don't mean anything. It's like they're over, everything is overbooked and some of it's for no reason whatsoever. I, I, and I didn't even know half the people that came in, but apparently Dr. Luther and Serpentico are going to be in this casino tag team battle royal. The only people who got any like individual mention seemed to be Pac and Phoenix who came in a little bit later, but then there seemed to be like a third wave of people running in. I, I couldn't even focus on who they were. And like I said, this, I mean, as a go home show, this was a foul. Like I said earlier, it was a jobber, a 30, a 30 jobber melee to close out your go home show for an upcoming pay-per-view and you only have like what four pay-per-views a year five mm -hmm. pay-per-views a year four, this, four. this was god awful and you know what is the biggest hypocrisy this is why i can't i make fun of aew so much not because of aew they they they're trying it's just the hypocrisy from the fans that like this is so much better than, than wwe really like on wwe i just got a world-class championship match and a title change. What did I get on AEW? Oh, that's right. I got a jobber melee scrum. Well, if you listen to Cody's press conference, which I don't think it's necessary listening, but he did sort of tip his hand a little bit. He admitted something. He basically said that TV is more important than pay-per-views right now, that the money is, is coming in from TV. That's what's important. And he basically said without saying the pay-per-view buys are down. You can't count on that and that you have to have really great content for TNT. That's their job is to put content on TNT and to focus on every show. The pay-per-view is less. So that's, that's sort of like gravy for them. And he probably shouldn't have said that, but he said a bunch of things that he probably shouldn't have said, including that that uh, Paul McAfee or whatever his name is wants a job with Pat McAfee. Uh, he's pretty sure he wants a job with AEW and – and other things as well. But nevertheless, I, I, I focused in on that line and, and I felt that when I was watching this go home show, I'm like, yeah, Co Cody basically is a bad poker player because he tipped his hand. That's a great segue for the AWNXT ratings. They came out early Thursday afternoon. AW scored a 934,000 uh, viewers and NXT scored 692,000 viewers. So they're inching closer to a million. I guess the Shaq pop worked. I'm interested to see how many of the fans that tuned in for Shaq stayed for Shaq, stayed till the end. That I didn't see in Brian Alvarez's report. No, we're, we're going to get that on Friday or Saturday, the quarter-by-quarter quarter breakdown. Um, I sort of predicted. Actually, my predictions weren't that far off the, this week. I predicted AW with 899, but I predicted they would be over a million and maybe considerably over a million uh, hour one. I, I knew already that, that the Shaq match was going to open the show because Cody said so in, in the uh, – in his press conference, but I think it, it had leaked already that they were opening the show with that. Yes. 
I suspect that there's a precipitous decline in hour two. NXT, probably the same. Now, I predicted NXT would do, I think, 713. It's on Twitter. And I wasn't, you know, it's not like I was right there, but I wasn't, you know, I had the, I was in the ballpark for both. I was in the spirit of it both. But something interesting occurred, and I don't really know why, but, and I know that I'm the one that says demos are overrated, and they are, but since we talk about them every week and the wrestling community does, strangely enough, despite AEW hitting its highest viewership for the first time, was actually down 12% in that coveted uh, demo, and they Ooh. had a 0.33 in that coveted demo. Meanwhile, NXT only had a 0.18, but they usually do like a 0.16, and they were actually up 11% in that demo. So I'm not sure if Shaq viewers are old dudes like me, that that's who tuned in to watch Shaq and then they they tuned out, or if NXT is, you know, if people are starting to realize that NXT lately, and I will say lately, it's probably in the last four or five weeks, but generally since uh, Halloween Havoc, but really the last five weeks, uh, NXT has been a better, more complete, more cohesive wrestling show. And if some people are sort of drifting there and saying, I can check out AEW later, or or they don't want to admit, but they're saying, yeah, this is a freaking mess. Um, yes, it is a bit of a freaking mess. But I thought that was interesting that there's there was that almost uh, symmetrical decrease in the demo for AEW and increase for NXT. That said, I mean... This little exercise is going to be over soon if rumors are true. NXT looks like it's moving to Tuesdays. Titularly, it's because uh, USA is going to be running the NHL on Wednesday nights on USA. Also in the summer, NBC has the Olympics, and they're going to have a lot of stuff on Wednesdays on all of their networks, and I guess less on Tuesday. I don't know. That's that's what they're saying. But it seems like NXT is moving to Tuesday, to which I say, listen, I enjoy the skirmish. I enjoy looking at the ratings. Um, you know, uh, to me, it's fun. It's interesting. But now I have three days to watch NXT, not one. Uh, we've already established that the crossover audience is somewhere between 180 and 200,000 people. But maybe when they don't have to choose, maybe both shows will benefit. So I don't know. That'll be interesting to see as well. I think Impact <laughs> it's gonna really suffer. It's moving to Thursday. Yeah, and Dark is probably gonna suffer as well. But Dark's a YouTube show, but they do get most of their audience on their, you know, airtime or, or sort of within six hours of it. Uh, Dark, by the way, the last few weeks since we're sort of doing some ratings, um, three weeks ago four thirty-two, two weeks ago four sixty-four, this week so far two sixty-one as of about three o'clock this afternoon. SmackDown, we didn't talk about the ratings. They went down a little bit, but still above 2, 2.05. Those YouTube numbers for Dark, those are in millions, right? Yeah, thousands. But, I mean, oh. listen, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with 432,000 or 464,000. I mean, you know, uh, NWA, which we're going to talk about later, never, you know, only got those numbers, I think, twice in their reincarnation. MLW, which we've been tracking, uh, two weeks ago, which was their, uh, which was a real show, uh, was the, it was their uh, Azteca Underground show. Um, well, no, it was the Filthy Island episode, which was sort of a cheesy comedy show, but it was you know supposed to be present day matches. Sixty six thousand last week, which was uh, which was like a rerun from two thousand three. Hmm. Uh, only twenty. 5,000 or something like that, 26,000 watched it, so obviously not a lot of interest. 
And as of the same time I checked dark or seconds earlier or later, uh, yesterday's show as of this time was only at 18,000, which is, which is actually behind pace. I mean, it's usually 35, 45,000 at this time. So, you know, my theory that they sort of tripped over there and stumbled upon their own momentum is, is holding true. I haven't watched MLW this week yet. I will tomorrow. Um, and, uh, I'll give some impressions on it on Patreon for UPL Patreon. I do an MLW review show uh, and Ring of Honor as well. Let's talk about NXT for a little bit uh, before we move on to our guest. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Kelly Klein versus Sinclair broadcasting lawsuit. Yeah, that could really change the the wrestling world if that independent contractor uh, status being misclassified set aside is is help but yeah we'll talk about that in detail yeah um let's talk yeah. about shana shana and naya are on uh i don't want to go run uh match by match but the the big draw i guess was supposed to be shana and naya versus raquel and um dakota kai and you know we had a um some funny business at the end of the match relating to um, Adam Pierce showing up and inserting a raw referee to get the final pinfall. I thought that was interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued to see where that goes. My, my biggest criticism out of this match was the fact that somewhere in the middle of the match, like Shane and I, and I know they're healing it up and they're supposed to be so much better than the NXT ladies, but Shayna has Dakota in a turn in the turnbuckle, and then she like kind of school like kind of like noogies her in a little bit in some fashion, and like it just takes it takes it away from me. Like Dakota ain't no chump. Like why that's not necessary. I don't know if that was booked in that fashion, or if it was you know Shayna and Nia kind of just going into business for themselves to get themselves over as dominant well, heels. I, th I think they were just being the heel because it was a heel on heel match, but in NXT, the NXT people, you know, should be positioned as the faces. I yeah, thought, I don't know. Talk that about, bothered me. Yeah. I, I, there, there were a couple things in this match that bothered me, but I thought it was okay. I mean, you know, the match was mostly to make Raquel look strong. And I think they achieved that. Mm -hmm. Um, I did notice that Naya completely botched the gorilla press. Um, also, there was a strange part where Naya threw, you know, she like clotheslined Raquel over the top rope down to the, the ring floor. Um, and then she rolled out to the ring floor and it looked like she would, you know, normally you would, she would put a beat down on Raquel or throw her into the, the barriers or whatever, the barricades. Instead, she sort of walked in the other direction for no apparent reason. Um, Aside from that, I, I you know I don't have anything to say about this match that you didn't. Uh, apparently, Regal and Pierce had an argument, and Regal's going to make an announcement which is going to change the landscape of NXT. I don't know if that means they're going to get their own women's tag team belts. I don't know if that means that NXT is going to be part of the WrestleMania card, um, and they're going to be challenging for those titles at WrestleMania. Whatever it is, I'm interested in that announcement. But I, you know, this this match in in and of itself was, you know, nothing special. I I, I doubt that it. 
I, I doubt that its quarterly rating was significantly different than any other quarter for NXT. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the NXT move to Tuesday nights. Um, it's interesting to see if that's going to benefit NXT at all. I think they're going to end up getting more viewers. I wouldn't be surprised if they pull more viewers from AEW's normal habit of watching on Wednesdays. Like they're going to get a bigger bump up than NXT fans watching AEW. I feel like the crossover um, differential, it goes one way. I've seen nothing to support that in, in either direction. I, I think it's the same people, but who knows? I mean, you know, if people no longer feel like they have to make a choice, if they're no longer so tribal, maybe they'll give both shows a try. I don't know. We'll see. And we'll track it, and that'll be fun, too. Not as much fun as the Wednesday Night Wars, but it'll be its own different kind of fun. Agreed. Let's talk um, about your favorite um, your favorite uh, NXT character, second to Zia of course. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Next week's NXT show is their super show. We got, we're going to have Cole against Balor in a title match. We're going to have uh, EO against Tony Storm in a, for a women's title match. You're going to have Xia Lee committing murder on Caden <laughs> Carter. Apparently, K Casey Cotton-Zero really is injured. What a shock with the way her, her landings are so wonderful. So we have regular-sized Tegan Knox injured with knee injuries. Now we have... A miniature size Tegan Knox injured with knee injuries. Oh, um, what, what, so I don't know what they're going to do about the Tegan Knox model. They may have to go to the Tegan Knox store. Um, <laughs> yeah, Casey Conzaro may be out six to 12 months with a partial tear for LCL. So yeah, that thing is gruesome. Yeah, I saw that on, on social media. But I, I think you were talking about everyone's um, Beverly Hillbilly, everyone's country bumpkin who made it rich and is doing everything he can to blow through his money and cause problems. And all of his money is going to go to the moon. Power bully, baby. Cause Cameron Grimes is there. And Cameron Grimes seems like he's got an ally in his former impact TNA mate, LA Knight against Bronson Reed. And Cameron Grimes gets that winner's purse. So he's not going broke just yet. IRS and tax man isn't going to visit him just yet. There's no state income tax in Florida, so he's not bothered by any Florida tax man. Cameron <laughs> Grimes is living life large. Moonshine to the moon. <laughs> in the, in his promo with uh, Regal, was it Regal that he was talking to? Yeah, right. Yes. He he does mention the million dollar man. So here, yet again, Dibiase, damn that because none none of Dibiase's ploys are working for him. So the million dollar man was really a million dollar man, and he's a bumpkin who doesn't know how to handle his money. I am if this doesn't end in an audit with with IRS coming back, some somebody somebody needs to get that ass beat. Um, <laughs> it is it is important. It, yeah, let me I do love it. it. I, I I I need to see this end with a million dollar man coming back or or even irs like i needed to to have this ridiculous ending it's fine the irs will do the audit all the money will be gone and then the mil then cameron grimes will leave he'll bump into the million dollar man who will laugh at him <laughs> i'll buy that yeah no that, that that's perfect um so 
one of the members of MSK, he's legitimately injured also. So we were talking about injuries striking AW. Same thing's happening with NXT, and that's nothing new either. So he really has a broken hand. So they're replaced with Ciampa and Thatcher. Why? They, they, they've won nothing, but at least it's a non-title match. I don't really care about that. They, they lose. The, the thing that was interesting to me is that Imperium was, was watching them. And so Thatcher apparently was with Imperium at some point. So this is the second week in a row where Imperium is sort of stalking, recruiting, taunting former members of Imperium. Last week it was, uh, well, it was a member of Imperium, but Sanity with Killian Dane. This week, Imperium, Timothy Thatcher. So they're sort of going to like old partners. And I don't know if they're trying to drive wedges in existing tag teams to make their job easier or if they're recruiting or what. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit interested in that story because I don't think it's a coincidence that happened two weeks in a row. I don't know how long it can go because I don't know how many people were involved with Sanity, Imperium, or any other factions that any of these other guys might have been involved with. Uh, I guess Nikki Cross is next. Um, we, I mean, I don't know what Ciampa sees in Thatcher. All they do is lose together. Um, so th this seems like a great thing. Um, I'm not going to go through the continue the therapy sessions with the Gargano stuff. Just to say that it was pretty funny, campy, but I it thought was. it was funny. Indy is in love, and she's making very inappropriate comments, and they're well worth watching. Gargano does the pay the therapist thing, keeps a hundred bucks for arcade money. Poor Austin Theory is is distraught, um, but you know basically he thinks it was a vacation. You know, simple little innocent child, um, <laughs> but you know whatever. Uh, Robert Stone, another guy who should be fired. His people keep losing. Uh, Swerve, for whatever reason, was in a recording studio, and he doesn't care anymore, so Leon Ruff, beware, whatever. Um, L.A. Knight apparently is putting notice on everyone. He made a comment that, you know, that he's a one-man revolution. I don't think that word was by accident because we've got revolution coming up. Um the thing with Legato, fine. Don't care about Brizango. Don't care about Everrise. But once again, kudos to the Young Bucks working two shows the same night. <laughs> and that that was it. I mean, I thought that NXT was was a you know again a pretty well constructed, pleasant show to watch. But you know, I don't think there was anything amazing on there. But the wrestling was good if you like that sort of thing. Yeah, but, I mean, by and large, NXT has always been. Lately, I mean, the better wrestling show. The stories have been good lately too, though. They've 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 sort of made sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to our next segment. Let's move on to our interview with uh, Greg Greenberg. All right, looking forward to this. All right, everybody, we're going to continue episode 20. We have a special guest uh, as part of uh, this episode. On the Hammerlock Hangover, we want to introduce uh, employment lawyer Greg Greenberg. Um, Jeff, I'm going to hand it over to you since you are uh, a lot more knowledgeable in uh, the legal trade and legal profession. I hope so. Um, but not, not more than Greg, at least not in this area. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're very happy and we're very fortunate to have Greg Greenberg with us. He's a partner with the firm of Zippen, Amster and Greenberg, LLC. Um, Greg is 
an employment lawyer. He practices in a analogous area directly in some of these issues. He'll certainly explore that and, and, and discuss it more. But uh, for those of you who don't know anything about being a lawyer, there's something called super lawyers, which is rated by peers and it's, it's not easy to get on that list. Um, and he's been a super lawyer every year for, since 2013. Uh, he was also a rising star, um, which is also not easy to get. Uh, I've had people ask me to nominate them or do recommendations and none of them have made it to the list. So he was a rising star 2012, 2013. And he's also the co-chair of the employment law group of the Montgomery County Bar Association. Montgomery County is one of the biggest counties in Maryland, if not the biggest county in Maryland, to say so. Greg, thank you very much for being on the show. Steve and Jeff, thank you very much for having me. And as far as super lawyer goes, if you pay off the right people, it's easy to get on that list. So, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> kidding i'm kidding we, we we love corruption here um we're all we're, we're all for that it, it's wrestling everything's a work um so greg's going to help us out with this lawsuit because as the audience knows we like to distinguish ourselves by by doing deep dives into certain issues so uh people may recall that a couple of years ago kelly klein was the ring of honor women of honor world champion and while she was concussed and injured she was told that her contract would not be renewed by Ring of Honor. So basically she was fired um, while she was recovering from an injury. Um, that led to a little public acrimony, which led to sort of a, some telenovela stuff, which isn't directly important to uh, the issues in hand today. So fast forwarding to today, a lawsuit was filed in the federal district court here in Maryland against Sinclair Broadcasting Ring of Honor, which is a subsidiary company of Sinclair, um, several individuals named uh, in their own capacity, including Joe Coff, who sometimes is on air and he's the COO. Um, also one Jamar Richardson, oh, I'm sorry, Jamar Shipman, not Jamar Richardson, I'm sorry. Um, Jamar Shipman is known to you as Jay Lethal, uh, who at, uh, at some point during these times was the booker and agent in charge of the women's division and had some authority over Miss Klein. Um, the suit is 28 pages long. It's filed by a, a Maryland attorney, also in conjunction with an out-of-state federal attorney. Um, and there's many counts and there's federal and state counts. Uh, there's a few issues that, that are of particular interest to us and, and, Greg, um, obviously, well, not obviously, but I'm going to say it, that one of the issues that they're talking about, and this is not in the order of the suit, um, is they're trying to have it declared. They're seeking what's called declaratory judgment, which is asking the court to declare something that she is an employee, not an independent contractor, and that the in, independent contractor status is a misclassification under Maryland law and, and other laws, and they cite lots of reasons for that that have to do with control. Um, any listener of this show who's heard me anywhere else knows that this has been a uh, thorn in my side for a while or, or you know something I've been arguing about for a long time. Um, and so it's very interesting. Some of the other issues that I think we're gonna have to explore is uh, you know, how do they get around the arbitration provision that, that's uh, in the contract? Now, the contract itself was not included in the suit. It 
my understanding is that it will be, that there will be supplementary filings with exhibits. So we don't have that yet, but that's because they're not filed with the court as of yet. Um, so, yeah, but the, you know, we're going to touch on everything. There's discrimination involved. There's unfair uh, pay, a huge discrepancy between the men and the women. Uh, Ms. Klein said that at, at some point her contract was, I think, $12,000 a year um, and that she was aware of at least one male who was making $184,000 a year. So those are some of the, the key issues. Uh, Greg will probably be able to put a finer point on some of those. So, Greg, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to you. Sure. Uh, thank you very much. Well, so where this really starts, I guess, would be two issues. And the first issue is the central question of whether she is under the law or under the various laws that they've sued under an independent contractor or an employee. So she obviously signed a document as an adult over the age of 18 with a sound mind, all of those things saying that I agree to be an independent contractor. That seems to be very clearly in that arbitration agreement that they're referencing in the complaint. So the question then becomes, well, if she shook a person's hand and signed the dotted line and said, I'm an independent contractor, isn't that good enough to end the rest of it? Because I'm an independent contractor and I should be able to agree to whatever I want. Well, under the law and you know what I, what I spend a lot of my time with is, even if you want to be an independent contractor, the, when the, the um, various you know, legislative bodies that created these laws said, look, we need to protect people that even don't even want this protection. So what the court is going to look at, not is what the party's subjective intent may have been, not what they wanted, but what the economic realities of the relationship would have been. And generally speaking, the court's going to look at about somewhere between five to ten, maybe more factors, one of which is control, which is to say, did she control her, her employment or her work relationship with the wrestling organization or was the wrestling organization really in charge of, um, you know, how she was going to go about doing her job. And that's going to turn on a question of largely on economic dependency, which is to say, in order to make money, could she have done that all by herself or was she reliant on the wrestling organization to get venues for her to perform, uh, to get audiences to tune in in order to be interested for her to make money? Was her pay, pay plan set exclusively by this wrestling organization or did she set the pay plan herself? And it seems to me that she was entirely dependent on the wrestling organization for when, where, and how much she was going to work, what she was going to do and what she was not going to do and how she was going to get paid. And that control factor is going to go, uh, you know, in the favor of an employee finding. Other factors that are regularly looked at, you know, they're going to look at her investment relative to the investment of the company. You know, what did she buy in order to do her job? Well, she probably had a personal trainer and worked the heck out a lot and, you know, bought her outfits and makeup and so on and so forth. But the big money, everything that was spent, the big investment would have been the investment of the wrestling organization. So you've got the little guy and the big guy. Um, the big guy's the one paying for everything, and the little guy's just showing up and doing her job. And that kind of turns in favor, again, of an employee as opposed to a, a, an independent contractor, someone that's really in business for themselves. They're making the investments. Another factor that's going to be looked at by the court is you know, your, your risk of loss here. If, if she shows up and if, if at a, a venue or no one tunes into an event, 
well, maybe she didn't make all the money that she could have, but the business is what's going to lose tons and tons of money. And that risk is really what goes along with running a business as opposed to her, which is, you know, she's just an employee. And on the flip side, if, if it just goes gangbusters and the, and the venue fills up and, you know, maybe they do a pay-per-view and tons of people tune in, the wrestling organization makes a ton of money and she doesn't. So again, that, mm. that on, you know, who's an employee and who's a contractor, you know, someone's kind of the minion and someone's really the business person here. And, and, and that's, that's an important factor. The, another factor is the, how long her relationship is and, and what its terms would be. I think that um, she is, in reality, an at-will employee, which is to say that she can be fired, really, for any reason. They can they decline to re-up her contract. Uh, they could have got rid of her. That was their right. An independent contractor, you know, usually is for a very set period of time, uh, a discrete task. Uh, if someone's like you bring in the plumber to fix your toilet, that's someone that's in for just a discrete task, not for an extended period of time like sh like she was. She was there for years and years. Another, you know, another factor might be her, her degree of skill. Um, here she did have a high degree of skill. She was, uh, uh, if I understand correctly, a, a champion wrestler. So perhaps that factor makes might turn towards an um a contractor finding. So you look at the totality of the circumstances here, and it looks like she's got a very strong argument that under uh, an economic reality analysis, she may, she may have been an employee of the company. And if she was an employee, then she is protected by these various laws, whether it be the anti-discrimination laws or the wage payment laws. Uh, you know, that all comes into play if first she is an employee. Um, the other issue, obviously, is the issue of the arbitration agreement. Basically, what happened is, as a condition of her employment or her working relationship with the wrestling organization, they made her sign a document that said that she's got a, if she's got a claim, a legal claim against the wrestling organization, she's got to do that not in a court before a judge and a jury, but in a private setting with a, a privately purchased uh, arbitrator or usually an older lawyer, a retired judge who you have to pay for privately. And, it, you know, whatever the results are, you can't. It, that's a final say. There's no appeal to it, and usually it's done under you know the cover of dark. So she's got to overcome that hurdle uh, as well. And uh, there actually are some strong arguments why the arbitration agreement would not be enforceable in this case, which uh, her lawyer wrote in, in the uh, lawsuit. What are some of those arguments, Greg? What I saw the strongest argument uh, against the arbitration agreement would have been that she would have had to pay uh, the full cost or at least half of the cost of the arbitrator. And arbitrators, uh, I think her lawyer said, run somewhere between $350 to $500 an hour, right? So think about you're paying your judge right from the jump. You're paying to read the complaint, to settle, you know, create a scheduling order, to settle all your discovery disputes, to um, rule on motions that are filed, to oversee the hearing, to um, put together an opinion. And you're talking about you know, 50 to 100 hours of judge time at 350 to $500 an hour. And let's say she's got to pay all or half of that. Well, just the cost of that alone is going to make most individuals say, look, I can't afford it. I can't, I can't vindicate my rights because I can't get through the door. And that's no, that's no mistake. That was on purpose by the wrestling organization. They knew that no one's going to sue them because they can't afford to sue them if they get put into arbitration. So what's going to happen is that their lawyers are going to say, 
uh, when the court decides issues of uh, this declaratory judgment that they ask for, the judge is going to say, look, this is unconscionable, which is to say no sane person, if they understood the ramifications of what they would have signed, would have agreed to this. I can go to court for free, you know, 150 bucks or whatever it costs. I can get my foot in the door in the court. I think it's $400 for a federal court, but that's a drop in the bucket um, compared to the cost of arbitration. So why would I give up that easy access to the court? And by the way, put this in front of a jury as opposed to a, you know some older lawyer or private judge that's getting paid for it. Why would I give up that right and go to arbitration? So that's why their lawyers can argue that it's unconscionable and therefore unenforceable, this arbitration agreement. And, if, and judge, you should be the one deciding it and you should find me to be an employee. So that's, what's, that's what the lawyers are saying. Yeah, I mean, when you frame it that way, I mean, you, you could be talking about three hundred thousand uh, dollars conservatively, or half of that, which is far more than what she was making. I noted some of the things going back to the independent contractor aspect that she could only give notice once a year, uh, like in in December, but they could give her thirty day notice anytime they wanted. That they, they told her when to work. That. that she was completely at their mercy, went to work. And that even if she wanted to to do outside dates uh, called indies oftentimes in, in the wrestling community, um, that she had to get pre-approval for it and that she was also barred from uh, several name promotions, but really anyone who had any sort of TV, which in this day and age, pretty much everyone has some streaming service can upload to YouTube, um, you know, well, Steve and I, we're we're on TV. We're on a streaming. We're on a streaming show. Um, so you know, anyone can do with today's technology. So you know, arguably, she couldn't work anyplace else without their say so, um, which again goes to control and an inability to make money anywhere else. I mean, you look at the situation, right? I got employees that work for me at the law firm. You know, I can tell them what to do and not to do because I pay their salary. That's how it goes. But I got a plumber and electrician that comes to my house. That's an independent contractor. He or she is in their business for themselves. I can't tell them they can't work for someone else. I can't tell them what, how, where they can or can't make money. I mean, that's the difference here. That that type of control is pretty substantial. And to call to have that control over someone and then call them a contractor is just silliness. Well, let me if I can if I don't if I if you don't mind me jumping in here real quick, I want to ask a question. Sure. About that, let's say, you know, for a project that requires a prolonged period of time, right? Let's say I'm building a house. I need to get an independent contractor to come in and do the electrical for, let's say, three months. Okay. Um, can I then say, hey, listen, I, buddy, I, I got you locked in here for three months to focus on this project. I really don't want you, you know, skirting. Uh, I paid you X amount of dollars for this project. Really, you shouldn't be running off doing, you know, building another house. So what you would do is you'd, you'd go back to the various economic reality factors. And you'd say, first of all, who's paying for the materials, right? The copper wire, everything that goes into putting the electrical into the house. Are you paying for it or is the person you're hiring paying for it, right? Who's making the investment in this project? It's three months. Well, that's a discrete, uh, well-defined period of time, right? That's not an at-will uh, can go as long. It can go for ten years or one day. That's you know how long the project's going to go. This is someone with a high degree of specialized skill, right? To be an electrician, to be in there working with those wires, 
I mean, that's that's not someone who can get off the street. That's someone who's got that particular skill set. So these factors are going to go back and forth. But uh, so it's going to be a, a t it, that's going to start looking more like a contractor. The more this person is you know buying their own materials, uh, there's a limited discrete task. And if you want to put that control on them and they want to agree to it, but they are coming into it not as you're you're, you're the ten thousand dollar. 10,000 pound gorilla and they're just a little ant like it is with the wrestling organization and one wrestler you're sure. equal, you're equal here you're sitting there as as one adult to another adult on equal footing saying this is what i want i'm negotiating with another equal and so you know you if they agree to those terms maybe you're looking at an independent contractor relationship but if you hire some guy off the streets and you're going to do this job for me i'll pay the i'll buy the materials well now that's it just looks like a short-term employment relationship yeah and you're also not going to hire the crew the independent con the the electricians probably going to bring their own crew or hire their own crew they'll probably come in in trucks that say you know frankenstein electrics incorporated or whatever it is they're not going to be you know we work for you know, big daddy cool or unpopular review um also if you've ever met a contractor where you can control their time and they're at your beck and call all the time. You are the only person I've ever met that's had that experience with a contractor. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you like, you know, you own a, the Bellagio hotel and you're Steve Wynn or something, you can, you know, can control what those folks do, uh, you know, to the letter. But uh, I think most people would, uh, you know, most of the calls I've gotten over the last uh, 28 years is, uh, they have almost no control over their contractors whatsoever, including sometimes they disappear for days, weeks, or months at a time. No, that's that's my experience as well. But I'm just, you know, uh, asking the question. Tricked you. you. Know, Everyone listens to everything I say. It's just you. Because the wrestler, the, the wrestlers will say, oh, you know, I've got this contract for two years, three years. I want to ask a question about this de declaratory judgment, right? So at the essence, if, if, in the state of Maryland, correct, if she's proven, if the lawsuit goes her way and she's proven to be an employee and not an independent contractor, does that decision become case law? And then that impacts all professional wrestling, uh, the entire business in the state of Maryland? So what is going to happen is this. This particular district court judge, Judge Zinnes, is going to make a determination whether this particular fact actual determinative, right? The facts with her relationship with the rest of the organization might be very different than someone else. But this judge will make this decision. And it whatever that decision was, would be persuasive on another federal uh, judge in Maryland or elsewhere. But it would in no way bind any other judge uh, in order to make that same decision. More than anything, first of all, they're in federal court, which is not part of the Maryland state court system, which is to say if they were just in, if they were in Baltimore County Circuit Court, that's not, that, that's not part of the federal court system. So the, the state court judge in Baltimore County might say, look, uh, you're, you're a federal judge that should be interpreting federal law you're making determinations on who is is and who is not an employee under Maryland state law. I that's nice that you found that way, but I'm in no way bound to follow you. And if someone is bringing the same case in a federal court in Nevada, they can ignore that altogether. It's it's a very little persuasive uh, 
you know, authority. I mean, it's nice that someone else looked at the same issue and found that way, but this isn't going to be binding as if an appellate court or the Supreme Court found that way. It's just going to, I mean, it's just going to be one judge making that one determination. On, on just her case, right? But it could kick the door open that uh, other wrestlers would follow the same type of suit and sort of stack up cases in this district. And while it's not binding on the state of Maryland, the Maryland federal district court system is not just Maryland, it's the fourth district, which is a few states. Um, so, you know, there's, it gives and it takes away. I mean, the, the geographic scope is larger as well. And as a practical matter, if she wins, there's a pretty good chance that there'll be an appeal. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and sometimes when you get different cases, like uh, as Greg was saying, if, if there was a federal case in Nevada that ruled the same way or a different way, then you have a difference between federal circuits. And if they go to appeal and still there's a divergence of opinion in federal circuits, that's sometimes when you get a Supreme Court to, to take the case. Uh, to resolve the issue between federal circuits. So, I mean, it, it may just apply to her, but potentially it could uh, apply, it become the law of the land. Let me put it this way. If I were the next lawyer and she won and I was representing with someone with a similar case, I would wave that opinion off to anyone who could see it to say, see, this has already been decided. And if I was yeah. on the other side, I'd be like, eh, that's just an outlier. That's one judge's yeah. opinion. So it, it, it's all in the eye of whoever's trying to make their case. Got it. Now, uh, she's, she's, um, she's, it's got a lot of, um, what's the proper terminology, terminology I'm looking for, uh, Jeff? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Counts, legalese, yeah, theories. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I guess she's, she's claiming discrimination, harassment, unsafe work environment, unpaid royalties, abusive discharge. Um, but before we get to those things, do does she need to prove that she was an employee versus a contractor? Well, the the Maryland wage law, which she's suing under, uh, as well as the anti-discrimination law, uh, are protections afforded to employees, which is to say if she's not an employee, then there is no analysis. And each one of those laws has their own definition of employee and employer, which is to say that analysis that we just went through with the economic realities is slightly different under each particular law. But if, if, if she's a contractor under each one of those laws, uh, then she's not going to otherwise qualify as someone that could collect or recover under those particular laws. Now, there could still be a breach of contract because she'd have a contract, but uh, the you know the big stuff that she's suing would kind of go away. What about what, was there anything there? Is is that why they threw in breach of implied contract? And what about the Comar unsafe workplace? Does that apply to contractors or is it just employees? Uh, well, the Comar unsafe workplace is seems to be a way, them trying to file a private right of action under a, I guess a wrong that would be within the exclusive jurisdiction of OSHA or MOSHA. So I don't understand how they're able to recover under that cause of action. It was a little confusing to me, but to be sure, uh, it, if there is a private right of action, you would need to be an employee under that particular law. Uh, the implied contract or the, uh, 
seems to me something that you'd be able to cover under whether or not you're an employee or a contractor, just because you've got this contract in place and well, okay, fine. That then if they breach the contract and you're entitled to contract damages, you wouldn't need to have an employee find it. Um, I'd note that they've sued under the Maryland Workplace Fraud Act, which is odd because that's a protection for individuals in the landscaping and construction industry. And I don't know, I, it, it was the news to me that you could sue uh, outside of those particular industries under that particular law, but that's kind of inside baseball as is. They haven't identified an exhaustion of administrative remedies, meaning it doesn't appear that they went to the Human Rights Commission or the EEOC first, which is a mandatory condition precedent for that type of claim. And they don't allege that they did that. So I don't know how they would recover under the discrimination laws, but maybe I'm I was going to ask about that because it was absent anything about that. And that was my understanding as well, that you have to file a claim with um, a governmental policing agency one of the two um, within 300 days or something like that of the incident. And uh, I think that's, I think that's uh, a mandatory jurisdictional condition precedent. So I, maybe they just didn't, maybe it happened and they didn't allege it. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, I don't want to be anyone's, <laughs> I don't want to be uh, getting too involved with, you know, what did or did not happen. I'm just kind of reading the, the allegations and trying to piece things together. Yeah, sure. that, that's true. They certainly don't have to allege every fact uh, in the lawsuit. They just have to uh, state uh, a, a prima facie case, which is just uh, uh, enough elements to support the, the 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 claims above. They don't have to, you know, the evidence is evidence. That's what discovery and trials are for. Mm -hmm. So, Greg, you you've litigated these cases uh, with the. The particular distinction of whether someone's an independent contractor versus an employee in the state of Maryland, correct? Uh, yes. So I, the focus of my practice is whether an individual is an employee or a contractor. I, I handle these cases primarily in federal court, and you know, at this point, uh, pretty much nationally. I, I represent individuals and in, in classes of individuals in, in federal courts across the country. Uh, most of the individuals I'm representing are in the exotic dancer industry. So I'm representing exotic dancers who oftentimes sign arbitration agreements to be independent contractors with exotic dance clubs. So uh, this is uh, kind of a complaint uh, and a lawsuit in a cause of actions that would be you know, similar to what I'm dealing with. How successful, again, in, in I guess, in the state of Maryland, is it have have these cases been well uh we've been very successful and you were asking earlier about that whether this would be case law or precedent so we were so we had we had a trial in federal court uh in back in about 2015 or 14 uh and uh, against a, a gentleman's club in, in prince george's county maryland and we were successful they found the dancers to be employees and we went to trial and were successful and they recovered unpaid wages <clears throat> and the, the club appealed and we went up to the fourth circuit court of appeals and we were successful at the fourth circuit court of appeals. So now basically if we were to file a case within any of the federal courts within the fourth circuit, which is North and South Car Carolina, uh, Maryland and Virginia, West Virginia, that, that, that we would be able to point to that case and say, look, um, this issue has pretty much been decided already. So we, we were successful in that regard. And there are similar cases by uh, 
in, in, in federal courts and circuit courts across the country that we were, were able to point to. So in those cases where you've been able to successfully uh, prove that they um, people that were under the guise of being independent contractors were in fact really employees of a company. What are some of the things like the takeaways as far as like, you know, this is what got us, you know, that, that, and forgive me if I'm, I'm characterizing this in, improperly because again, I'm, I'm no lawyer, but you know, what is it that got that over? So really the most important question that the court goes to ask is this, is this person in business for themselves? Are they running their own business or are they economically dependent on the other business, the, the, the business they're saying they're in, is their employer in order to make a living? Can a stripper show up anywhere and make money or is she reliant on the strip club, you know, advertising, having a nice atmosphere, bringing customers in, you know, having nice specials or whatever it is in order to get customers in the door for her to make tips. It's, it, the, I mean, if the court, if this person's on their own, well, they're a contractor, but if they're reliant in order to make money on the club, well, then they're probably going to be an employee. And then the other stuff just falls into place because, you know, you, it's going to be the same thing with the wrestling, right? If this, if this woman showed up and no one did the advertising, no one got the venue, no one got her to someone to wrestle against, no one got, you know, no one got the lights and the music and the whole experience, and she's not making any money and people aren't buying the merchandise. And, you know, how that, that's what's happening here. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, her ability to make a commission, as they say here, or my client's ability to make tips is going to be entirely reliant on, in or, uh, on, on the club or the, or the wrestling organization. And, you know, and for my clients to make money for these private dances, well, the club sets the, pri the cost of the private dance for the customer, right? If you want this private dance, it's going to be the club says it, it costs X to get this dance. Uh, it's the same situation for the organization. If they're selling merchandise, right, the the org wrestling organization is saying, this is how much we're charging for merchandise. If they charge too much, they're not making money and she's not making their commissions. If they're charging too little, you know, then, then you know, she's not making much in the commissions because there's a bad business decision by the wrestling organization. There, it's just there's parallels all the way down. Sure. You certainly are. There, there are two things that come to my mind. One is that if you have a spouse or partner, he or she is a very strong person and has a lot of faith in you. So congratulations. Um, two is that this is extremely important to Ring of Honor, uh, which is has always been mostly a Northeast and, and Southeast uh, promotion, though it, it, it you know sometimes goes to England, Australia, whatnot. Um, but right now and for the past several months and probably for the next few months going forward and who knows what their business plan is post covid they are 100% exclusively in maryland so you know they're they're right here this is where they're based this is where their parent company is based this is where the company is based this is where they're taping this is where they're um, they're putting up the their uh, their talent in hotels and a lot of their talent live in this area as well so, it, you know, I mean, obviously they could move, I suppose, to a, to a more friendly location, but that, that seems to be rather unlikely. Does it matter that, you know, a wrestling organization can make the argument, well, you know, yeah, she works for us, but she also has these other places, 
where you can see her independently, much like an exotic dancer, right? Yes. Yeah, she works for my club, but she also travels around to other cities and dances at other clubs. Sure. And my associate that works for me might make some side money by flipping burgers at McDonald's on the weekends, but that doesn't mean he's any less an employee of mine. I mean, just because someone has the ability to work elsewhere on the weekends or, or, or have a side hustle doesn't make their less an employment relationship. I, I think that that's, it's fairly common for individuals to have multiple jobs on the weekends or what have you. And I, I don't think that it's going to be a strong consideration for the court because they're going to be focused on the relationship between one individual and one organization, not that individual and other organizations for which it might, uh, you know, make some money. Plus, if I understand correctly, I believe there is some exclusivity in her contract as far as what they, she can and cannot do outside the organization, which is an indicia of control that's going to might be the, the nail in the coffin for the rest of the organization. If you're telling someone they can't make money somewhere else, and then in, under, in the same breath saying that you're an independent contractor, it really, it doesn't pass the smell test. Greg, I have a question for you. Can Steve and I sue ourselves for having multiple jobs that pay us exactly nothing? Um, absolutely. And in some cases cost us money? <laughs> absolutely. But then who are you going to collect off of? That's the big question. I don't know. That's the problem. I'm, I'm quite a dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg, based upon your experience in, in, you know, in Maryland and obviously with this uh, type of a case, how successful do you see this lawsuit going? Well, uh, I've got a, there are a couple more technical issues that I see with the lawsuit. Um, again, we had mentioned that uh, we have a question as far as the harassment claim, whether there's administrative remedies that have been uh, followed. Uh, I'm unsure about the uh, equal pay. It sounds like if the men are performing substantially similar jobs under same conditions and they're paying the men more that might be a, a viable place, uh, a viable uh, cause of action. The failure to provide a safe environment, I'm unsure how there's a private right of action. That seems like something that OSHA uh, would be in, in charge of investigating. Uh, I'm unsure what they mean by breach of implied contract or what exactly they're suing for for there. Um, the royalties, um, I, I guess if she's entitled to them uh, I, if, and they didn't pay her that, then that might be a, a viable cause of action. Um, and then just uh, the, I, the independent contractor, I think they, that, they, that she wins that. Uh, and uh, I think they have a strong potential argument that the arbitration agreement is going to be void as uh, unenforceable because it's unconscionable as drafted. Um, it, it, if the wrestling organization paid the full freight of the arbitration, uh, I think that it would otherwise be enforceable. There's no problem have, uh, under the law uh, making someone sign an arbitration agreement uh, as a condition of their employment, but you can't make them sign them as a condition of employment, then make them pay for everything in order to uh, create a barrier towards the vindication of rights. And that, sure. that's usually where I'm able to, to hit those. Uh, these clubs, because they, when we want to file a class action, they'll say, well, we have an arbitration agreement, but they got a little too greedy in the arbitration agreement. And I'll, I'm able to challenge the enforceability of that agreement on those grounds. And once you've thrown out the arbitration agreement, then you um, have a, a clear path to a class action because the way that they're treating a dancer, just like the way they're treating her, is the same way they're treating all the dancers and all the wrestlers. So if they're right on these issues and everyone's being... Uh, 
damaged in the same way, well, they've got a pretty big case on their hands. The one thing we know about wrestling is that maybe you don't know this, Greg, but Steve and I do, is that it's littered with former wrestlers and wrestlers who are disgruntled. Um, and finding a class action will probably be pretty easy um, to do. And if that happens here with little old Ring of Honor, it, it, it's going to, which by the way, isn't that little, but it, it it's not one of the big two or three promotions. So it, it, it might be three in the U.S. Um, it's not entirely clear on that. But if it happens there, it will almost certainly expand to other promotions. Or if it doesn't expand to other promotions, they will at least be aware of it and have to change some of their ways. So this could be this could be a paradigm shift in the industry, um, possibly. So we're gonna we're gonna keep watching this. We're gonna keep watching it closely. Um, if you don't mind, if I get information, I'll share it with you. And then and you know if if you uh, came out of this unscathed, uh, we may call upon you again at some point as as the case progresses. You know with some. With something to talk about as opposed to you know just an answer was filed or you know they're they're doing discovery or or whatever the case is but uh you know i, I thank you for your expertise uh you know i think that we want to limit it to not to overwhelm the audience and also not to overwhelm things just because a lawsuit was filed we uh, you know as you and i know that this this could be a year to two or three year process just just before the trial stage or they could settle and we may never know a thing <laughs> That's that is all true. I'd be thrilled to come back. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Jeff. That was our interview with Greg Greenberg. Very interesting stuff with um, employment law. I I feel like I went to school. I feel like I I got at least an associate's level degree out of that interview. Yeah, you could be a paralegal now. <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah, no, I agree. That was great, and and we're gonna continue to follow this case very closely. It happens to be in my backyard. Not that that really matters, but there is, a, you know, there is some interest to me on that. But again, very interested in the business of wrestling here. We make no bones about that. It's one of the ways we try to distinguish ourselves. But it's it's not because we're trying because we want to do it. It's because I'm truly interested in in the business aspects of wrestling. I think Steve is too. And if that's one way we can be different than other wrestling podcasts, great. Because, you know, there's 10,000 of them and, and a, you know, a lot of us cover the same ground. And, you know, that this is sort of part of our brand. But we're definitely going to cover this. And we hope to have announcements and surprises for you in the future uh, regarding that, uh, you know, and, and hope to have Greg back. And he was kind enough to say that he'd be happy to come back. So, again, we'll follow this and other related cases, as we always do here on Hammerlock Hangover. But I think now, yeah, I, yep. I think it was an interesting conversation. And I also thought it was very surprising to hear about uh, how the result of this lawsuit might um, impact other wrestling organizations. In So, yeah, very much. Uh, I mean, it's a long ride. It sounds like it's going to be three years, two, three years till we get an outcome <laughs> unless they settle out of court. Yeah, it, it could be. It could be all, all of those things. I mean, it could be much longer if it keeps going up on appeal. I mean, let's not forget at the top of this chain is Sinclair, which is a very deep pocket, publicly traded company worth about two and a half billion dollars. They have 193 
TV stations in the United States. They have three streaming services. Um, you know, they they license. Uh, you know, so they're 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 a big deal. Ring of Honor is also named, and we have four individual defendants. Which uh, I mean, they'll probably get themselves individually dismissed. I would think, but maybe not. That we'll we'll hear more about that going forward. I guess it depends on on the details. Um, well, one thing one thing I forgot to ask in the lawsuit, Jeff, and may, I think maybe you should be able to answer this. In the lawsuit, it looks like she's looking for $75,000 as restitution. No. Okay. So that, that was reported um, by people. And I understand why you got that impression. I understand why they got that impression. What it is, is that for federal court to have jurisdiction over cases, there needs to be certain criteria. There either needs to be a federal question, in other words, federal statutes involved. Now, they did cite federal statutes. But they're also recognizing that maybe federal statutes won't apply. And that's why they also named state statutes. So that's so they meet one prong. Another prong is there has to be diversity of citizenship, meaning that parties are in different states. Well, Kelly Klein, I think, lives in Ohio. Yeah. Um, the various defendants live in different places. Both of the corporate defendants, but well, one's a corporation, one's an LLC, are in Maryland. So there's diversity of citizenship. So check box number two. And third, um, a case in controversy must be at least $75,000. So that's where that, that number came from. It's just the minimum amount for something that's not a federal question and not diversity of citizenship or with diversity of citizenship needs to be a controversy, at least in excess of $75,000 to be in the federal court. So they checked all three boxes by doing that. That doesn't mean they're asking for $75,000, that this case involves at least $75,000. Oh, they didn't ask it. for specific money damages. But that's okay, why Gorwick.com and other people are saying that they asked for $75,000. That's an interesting distinction because I, <laughs> I easily kind of did the math and I was like, well, if she's looking for $75,000, I mean, I'm pretty sure Sinclair would be like, here's $75,000, go away. Yeah, no, if it was just that, sure. Or, or they'd say, we'll give you, you know, 57.5 and, you know, you'll go away. But no, that, that's not what it's all about. Copy. All right. Very good. More to come on that, guys. More to come on that. All right. Um, it's now time for my favorite intro of the show. Besides the first intro, you know, when I ramp up and welcome everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for news. Take it away, Joe. All right. So there's a lot of news today or this week, but we've actually covered quite a bit of it during the content of the show. Not unusual. So let's start with NWA. So this week was an interesting week for NWA. On Saturday, all of their content on the interwebs, YouTube, website, et cetera, mysteriously gone. No announcement from anybody. So this was February 27th. So everyone's like, oh, they're, they're, they're kaput. They're gone. We then learned that they've negotiated with Fight TV. They're going to move all their stuff to the Fight TV platform, and it should yield. It's going to yield more revenues. I don't want to say it definitively, but that that's the plan. I don't understand enough about Fight TV versus YouTube to to know how that works, but that that is the purpose of it. So fine. They also announced tapings are going to resume March 21st through March 24th. So okay, that's cool. Um, I'm not clear where. I assume it's still in California. Um, and they're starting with 
a pay-per-view called Back in the Saddle, not on the 24th so that they can build stories, um, on the 21st. So there's been no stories, no content for months and months and months, and their first event is a pay-per-view. So I guess they think that there's that much tapped-up demand that, that, that people are going to pay for a pay-per-view on March 21st. Uh, we know some of the people on the card, Nick Aldis, Camille, Aaron Stevens, who people might remember as Damian Sandow, uh, Tim Storm, uh, Trevor Murdoch, Thunder Rosa, uh, Melina. But we don't know the matches. Uh, we don't know who else is going to be there. I imagine some surprises. I imagine some people from Championship Wrestling of Hollywood. Uh, I assume some people from the UWN Collective. But who knows? So more to come on that. But, you know, editorial, that seems like a strange way to start with a pay-per-view. I just don't see who would buy that other than their most diehard of diehard fans. Agreed. Um, Kaz XL and Enzo appeared on a show. It was originally said to be an Impact show. Apparently it's affiliated with Impact, but it was Luke Gallows who arranged it. So I'm not sure if Kaz XL and Enzo have reunited if they're going to join Impact, but it looks like they're trying to make their comeback again. So we'll keep on that. There was some news about someone that that really disappointed a lot of people, including me, and that's Marty Skrull. He apparently was seen out uh, at a New Japan taping, and that was confirmed he was going to be on a New Japan television angle. That was scrapped. So good for you, New Japan. You did the right thing. I've now heard a rumor that he's supposed to appear on Ring of Honor, but that has not been confirmed. And I'm not sure if the people who reported that just weren't confused with New Japan, North America. So because a lot of this, you have some talent sharing there. Um, so we'll keep on that. Now, Joey Ryan. Joey Ryan is somebody who's been canceled. Joey Ryan is someone who should be canceled. I'm not a big fan of cancel culture writ large, but you know there are times that it's right and things deserve case by case. And just the evidence for Joey is overwhelming and his entire body of life is overwhelming. Anyway, he can't get himself a job anywhere. He's sued a whole bunch of people, including lots of women who accused him individually. A bunch of the suits have been dismissed. Some are still going on, et cetera. This is not what this is about. He booked a show in a state he doesn't usually book in. He usually books in California and Nevada. He booked a show, I think it was in Tennessee or Alabama, but somewhere in the Southeast. He also had someone else doing all of the outreach. So you didn't know that it was necessarily Joey Ryan, but he put himself on the poster there with Carlito, there with Rhino, there with Thunder Rose. I think Serena Deeb was on there. They were, they were I mean, listen, he, he's not the only one who was there, but he put himself on and they also put, I think his promotion, which reportedly folded, uh, was called Barroom Wrestling or something, or Barstool Wrestling, something like that. And it was on the bottom of the poster. So him putting himself on that and his his former company's name, which I guess maybe he resuscitated, um, was a dead giveaway. So this show was supposed to be a benefit for a Christian women's charity. It turns out that this Christian charity is headed by a woman who is under investigation by at least federal, if not state and federal tax authorities, probably uh, or looking like a scam. The benefit was very doubtful. The charity is very doubtful. Um, AEW had consented to some of their talent being there. I can't think of who they are offhand, but Tony Khan got wind of it and said, 
forget it. I didn't know Joey Ryan was involved. Our talent can't go, but you know what? I'll, I'll make a contribution to the charity. I don't know if that still holds or not that latter part, um, but it seems like the, the show has been scrapped or a lot of people have been fleeing it. So Joey Ryan tried to make a sort of covert comeback again, but puts himself on the poster because of course he did. Uh, but I guess that's for the greater good. Um, because narcissists roll like narcissists. So there we go. So that's that's news there. I don't really want to talk about the Observer Awards or Meltzer Awards because they're voted by the fans. They're not important. People were making a big hubbub about them. I just want to say that we're not. Yes, some of them were silly, but the fans voted. What, what do you think the fans of Dave Meltzer and the Figure Four Online Universe are you know are going to favor? They're going to they listen to him because of his favoritism. The, that brand that outlet they prefer japanese wrestling they prefer aw so of course that's where uh, most of the votes went so everyone chill out okay last injury piece of news um asuka actually lost a tooth in that match a couple weeks back so that's why we haven't seen her um so it was last week yeah last week uh who was it it was shana baszler that, that shana kicked shana stiff kicked her and on Raw, they showed a clip of actually you could see the tooth flying out in slow motion. It was wild. Yeah, and and Shayna immediately got down and apologized and things like that. I mean, you know, it, maybe to the extent that you shouldn't in, in during the show, but uh, it was definitely inadvertent. Um, last piece of news is a sad piece of news. Jim Crockett Jr. passed away at the age of 76. There have been reports he was in bad health. Uh, it happened yesterday, last night, actually, when I was live on UPR is when I saw the news reported by our friend uh, Kevin Castle. That's who I heard it from. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know the cause of death, but I had heard a couple days earlier that it was grave. Obviously, grave was not hyperbole. So rest in peace, Jim Crockett Jr. For those who don't know, the Crockett's were um, promoters in the territory days. The, the, the Crockett promotions were the Carolinas. I knew them from Georgia Championship Wrestling, which then became WCW. Um, so, you know, a big name in the history of wrestling. Um, so, you know, I know the yep. brothers, they hadn't spoken in a while. I think that they recently started communicating again. So hopefully they, uh, you know, um, put their differences behind them and reconcile before this happened. But rest in peace, condolences and thoughts to the Crockett family and, and friends. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I just want to share a couple of these tweets that came out since his passing. Landstorm says that if not for my love of Jim Crockett promotions, I doubt I would ever have considered a pro wrestling career. Like, that's how influential uh, Jim Crockett and that entire time. I mean, Shivani, they, they hired Shivani as a baseball announcer for the Braves and gave him an opportunity to become a wrestling announcer. And that is what he's most known for. So very influential um, in professional wrestling. Ric Flair, I think this was the, the biggest one. Ric Flair said, I moved to Charlotte in 1974 with $150 in my pocket. Jimmy Crockett was my friend and my boss. I can't put into words how much he did for me and my career. His influence and persistence helped me become the world champion. So obviously, 
you know, even FTR, the match where Tully was in it, and a good portion of AEW was in homage to NWA, Jim Crockett, Jim Crockett Promotions. So yeah, it's um, a, a wrestling legend was uh, was lost. So yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the reason they had Tully with the U.S. belt and they brought JJ in and and you know Arn did did that thing with the with the gesture of the four horsemen and you know I so I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't play a role in it. I I don't think that he had died at at that point, but. Maybe he had, maybe they, I mean, I'm sure if anyone was going to get an early word, it would have been some of those legends who had been so pivotal in his life. Yep, I agree. So if it Anything... wasn't that, then they knew something that I didn't know and we didn't know, you know, I, I didn't mean to, you know, shit on it that much if it was a sign of respect, but it, but it was a little bit funny, you know, in, especially the bowling shirt. <laughs> oh, please listen. Uh, it doesn't matter if anybody dies or doesn't die. I mean, they end up, uh, they end up getting to be the butt of a lot of jokes anyway, AEW, so don't don't think too much about it. Okay, I'm done thinking. Um, Very good. Yeah. Anything else to cover? I don't, do you want to do predictions on Revolution? Mm, nope. Me either. We'll leave that to UPR. If you, if, if you guys are interested at all to hear our predictions on AEW Revolution, then tune in to unpopular review on youtube and and subscribe there's a lot of wrestling content and some other stuff there we're like girl on cinema we do reviews for wrestling and movies but not as popular or not even as funny yeah well one of our members is is apparently a recurring star on the bubba bubba the love sponge um podcast as well oh that's right that's right so we're, yeah, we're we're big time we're we're trying we're getting there we're getting there Plus, Katrina likes them as much as she likes Hammerlock Hangover. And my show, Garden of Doom. G plug. Oh, oh, that's right. You you, you, you were sued by um, the makers I, of the video game Doom, no? No, I haven't been sued. What, what, what has happened is that oh, I have a pending trademark application, and it made it all the way through the process until the, the publication phase the, for public comment. And the makers of the video game Doom uh, asked for an extension of the initial 30-day period of time to file an objection. And that was granted for 30 days. And they filed a second request for extension for 60 days. And that was granted too. So originally it was going to be February 5th, then March 5th, and now it's going to be May 5th. Uh, so it's possible they'll file an objection to my silly little podcast, I mean, excellent podcast, which is in no way about the adventures of some guy going underground to on wild and wacky event, uh, you know, adventures and fighting off like dangerous orcs and pigs or whatever was happening in doom. Not to mention that there's Dr. Doom, the Legion of doom from super friends, the Legion of doom and wrestling doom, the, the tag team and wrestling, the dungeon of doom, Mount doom. <laughs> I mean, it's MF doom. Yeah. There's a lot of doom, but, yeah. I find it a very pun, very punny that they're trying to doom your Garden of Doom podcast. Well, they, they, they could only prevent me from getting a, a registered trademark. They can't prevent me from anything else, really, unless they really want to go at it. Which, you know what? 
the publicity I'd get from that would be remarkable. I'll take it. I could come up with another name, but I like my little name, but, um, you know, you know, it's just, it's just the big guy is trying to kick the little guy sort of, sort of like ring of honor and Sinclair were doing to Kelly Klein, allegedly, maybe. Um, so yeah. listen, you guys shame, shame the makers of doom, go out there and let them know leave evil dose alone leave garden of doom alone it's just a podcast nobody's right. going to confuse it with your video game or your movie that you made 20 years ago or the reboot that you'll make in five years if anyone's still making movies then absolutely that's right get it right <laughs> did you just call them dummies i did dummies <laughs> all right guys that's it that's uh the 20th episode well, of Hammerlock, we've made it twenty weeks. Congratulations! Yeah, congratulations to you. They said it would never last. They exactly, but here we are. So good job, guys! Thank you for um, listening. Thank you for subscribing. Please make sure if you enjoy our our witty banter and wrestling talk, and our viewpoints. I mean, I challenge you to find me or another wrestling podcast that has a lawyer on to discuss wrestling lawsuits. Um. Please make sure you subscribe and share with uh, anybody that might be interested in listening to the Hammerlock Hangover. All right, guys. That's been episode 20. Thanks a lot. Stay safe, guys. Stay evil, my friends.